The Koi Gig Pod. I then had to then fake an injury because I didn't want to tell people that I was pregnant until the 12 weeks gone. That's, it's mad to think of really, it seems kind of archaic. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. OTB AM, you're very welcome along, as per always. Uh, we're here, as usual, until 10am this morning with uh, with all your morning sport. OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Wes Meads, Adrian Barry, good morning. Shane, good morning to you. Keeping well? Uh, I heard you talking, was it yesterday or was it last week you were talking about all the great intros you like to give people, Jared oh, yeah. doesn't do it, yeah. and give that's the best you can come up with? Ah. I mean, that was pitiful. You had to give that no thought whatsoever. Sligos, Kathleen McNamee, good morning. <laughs> good morning, guys. <laughs> Can't do much better. Like, I mean, what else am I going to say? I mean, for this time in the morning to have it's that much pathetic, energy. Kathleen. Don't, I try and, don't try and defend them here. It takes a lot. This is my first cappuccino of the morning, Adrian. So, I mean, Jesus, give me some that's credit enough, here. That's fair enough. Uh, we have the, the Australian Open in front of us. Just gone to an ad break there. Um, Andy Murray, really in the years. Uh, he'll be 30, what did I say? He's 36, 35, 35 at the minute. 36 in May, and uh, yeah, they're involved. He's embroiled in a final set against the Italian Matteo Berrettini, the 13th seed. So uh, Murray winning the first couple of sets, 6-3, 6-3. Berrettini taking the third uh, on a 6-4 scoreline, then in a tiebreak in the fourth. And it's currently 5-4 Berrettini on serve in the in the fifth and final set. So, I mean, as you were saying, Kathy, we, we never get live sport on AM. We never get to enjoy and watch or something. And call it's something so live. Nice. Like there was, the World Cup kind of worked because it was just after the show finished and at least there was sport on for the morning in mm. the office. But th- I always love when there's actually live sport on AM because it makes me feel like, okay, yeah, no, we're a proper, we're properly doing sport right because we actually have stuff to react to live. And we couldn't ask for a better one to be on while we're actually live other than Murray and Berrettini because obviously Berrettini, one of the great stories that came through Wimbledon in the last few years. And then Andy Murray is just such an iconic figure. Yeah. Uh, and we've Courtney, or not sorry, we've Catherine Murphy coming up later, who's actually at that match in Melbourne. So she's going to be able to give us a really good insight on it, which I'm excited to hear about. Apparently, a lot of heat in Melbourne overnight as well. Well, not overnight for them, but um, they had to pause play. Not for this game, of course, because it's under the, uh, the roof of the Rod Lever Arena. But yeah, I mean, madness. And they take into account the wind and the, everything else. So. Uh, not easy to play a sport like tennis in, in a bit of heat. And it would, like, I mean, the, the odds would have been very much against Murray. Obviously, he's been the last couple of years struggling with various injuries and the possibility that he might actually leave the game at some point. Mm. So, um, and he's an outlad essentially now against, like Hatley said, the up and coming hot shot of the game. I've uh, been watching a bit of the, as I had to do obviously last week with the uh, documentary makers. Break point. break point. A point break. Pause for a second. Um, <laughs> think about that one. Um, and yeah, Berrettini obviously is an interesting character. But yeah, as you say, Murray was two love up and um, you kind of thought like, Jesus, what an opportunity he has here. But um, I know that over the course of the game he's been sort of fading a bit and um, obviously fitness will be a factor. He's a good off season. Yeah. But he's looked okay in this fifth. In this, he's uh, settled it. Set. I have to say, he's really settled it. There was a moment um, when he was two sets to one up and there was a tie break in the fourth and it looked like Murray because of his age and because of all those factors had sort of got himself into a moment where it was win the tie break or lose the match and it felt like that was sort of playing out and there was a a brilliant point in the tie break at 4-4 quality shots on both sides and ultimately Berrettini wins out and you think right that's it he's going to go on and kick on he did actually win that set but there was a real statement of intent from Murray in the point afterwards where he hits this beautiful pass shot um it is Pass Bertini, so classic Murray though as well to go all the way to the five sets and I think that's what kind of does him down in like the later stages of these competitions when he does get through because he'll either 
roar to a, to love up or else he'll go down by two and he'll have to like come back and actually really put in yeah. a fight and just with the way his body is like his hip I don't know how it is still like how? operating at the moment like he just he's had so many issues with it over the years and yet he's still out there his knees are bloody at the moment you know he looks like mm. he's been through a proper battle and this is just the first round of the competition he's unbelievable uh, gone out. So it, for people uh, uh, just tuning in, so it's five four Berrettini on serve in the final set, thirty uh, fifteen to Murray in this in this particular game. So it's, it's crackers serve again. Him to level it, yeah. Serve him to level it. So we'll keep we'll keep you up to date in that game, and of course um, maybe bring you the tie break live if we get that far. Uh, like Mur- Andy Murray, tie break will last about half an hour. I think that's well um, true. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just, we'll just stay on there. Tennis commentary, guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, John Duggan did a did a horse racing commentary live on on there once, which is tough. Because you're trying yeah. to see what, oh, yeah. which horse is which, you know. Sports, yeah. uh, so not easy. I um I had a moment where I thought of Andy Murray at the weekend. I did my first ever hot yoga class on wow. on the way at the weekend. It's I quite know. a statement. I I did my first ever hot yoga class, and I was thinking about Andy yeah. Murray. My, my <laughs> hips were so sore after. I was like, Jesus, I've never moved my hips like that in years. Why? So I, I, I've never done yoga before. Never mind hot yoga in a, in a room of forty, fifty degrees Celsius. And um, Jesus, I uh, I haven't sweated that much ever. Mm. That's a fact. Uh, one of my mates just said, "Do you want to go to hot yoga class this weekend?" I said, "Ah, oh, it's January, dry January, feeling wholesome. Let's mm. do something positive for the body." And uh, I'd say ten minutes in, I regretted it. Mm. This was a sixty-minute class, so I was Oof. like, "Nah, this is this is tough." Uh, Have you ever listened to the 30 for 30 documentary? ESPN did one on Bikram Chowdhury, who created hot yoga. Yeah, sorry, I haven't seen it. Is he a controversial character, is that right? Very, very controversial, yeah. In the the very classic, a man in a position of power who brings in people who are maybe looking for something or looking for someone to give them some sort of purpose or meaning and then takes advantage of them. But So there's two. There's one on Netflix that you can actually watch and then there's the ESPN 30 for 30 podcast, but they're both very good, I would recommend. Right, must give that a watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fergus Keogh on the YouTube comments. Keep them coming in, by the way. It says, cracking shirt. Uh, Sarcastic comment of the day there. Talking about me. Thanks a million, Fergus. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, I, this is just for Adrian Barry, to be, to be honest with you. I know, Adrian, you're a, a fashion fiend yourself, so... Uh, it's kind of confusing having Adrian here today. It made me feel yeah, like I was heading into the Friday. It's kind of nice. Yeah, when Adrian pops in during the week, you're like, ah, weekend feel. Mm. Yeah, so that must be quite nice you know, to know that you, you bring positive energy because of your, yeah, because your links of, to the Yeah, because weekend. of the day I broadcast on. Exactly. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's, the that's, only... that's what I want to be known as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've <laughs> been, uh, <laughs> you were busy last night, Adrian, watching a, a different sport. I don't watch too much basketball, maybe... Like a lot of us around here, because like there's so I've so much sport in my life that the, the time room for more sport mm. is just and the time it's on exactly. But actually, because there was no real football, there was like League One or whatever it was on last night. There wasn't really much to look at, and uh, I found myself trawling around. I was looking for a bit of Tom Brady action, but that wasn't starting until one o'clock, yeah, so yeah. Um, I wasn't going to get that far. Um, and then I found this, and it was uh, like um, red zone for uh, NBA basically, and it's like a sort of low enough production show where they like just bounce around all these games and I got hooked into watching a bit of the Pacers and I thought oh this is great and obviously Steph Curry was doing his thing and I thought this is good mm-hmm. and it was sort of getting down to the championship minutes there was like a couple of minutes left there was very little between them and suddenly they just bounced on over to the Knicks and the Raptors and I was like no <laughs> no I've invested some time over here yeah. leave me at this thing but actually they, they knew what they were doing um, it was absolute uh, classic stuff at the Garden and uh, really tight finish Um and as I said, like I'm not, uh, I don't watch basketball an awful lot. Mm. You tune into it every now and then, pay a bit of attention to the main stories that happen, but certainly no aficionado. But just the way the whole thing played out at the end, they'd um, 
The only ba- the only NBA game I've been to is a Knicks game at the Garden, and right. what a sensation! That's not a bad one to. Sensational the way you set that experience. up was like it was going to be disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've only been to a Knicks yeah, game in the Garden. Yeah. Like it was sensational. It was around the time that the a long period where the Knicks were crap. Um, so the result didn't go the way that night. But um, no, the, uh, brilliant last night. It didn't go the way in the end last night either. But there was uh, just the whole drama of how it all unfolded, and it looked like the Knicks had thrown it away towards the end. Randall with an offensive foul at the end, and. Uh, they they looked as if for the entire uh, whatever that was about seven or eight minutes that I'd seen they couldn't stick two um, foul throw free throws together <laughs> they were just like picking off one point apiece and it felt as if they could do any of that they would have got over the line but um, they uh, yeah they 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 and um, Raptors went on to win the thing at the end and it was just a whole drama the thing that was like a showbiz opportunity for a three point on the buzzer from. Um, from Brunson for the Knicks to win the thing and he, uh, he doesn't manage to get it down and uh, yeah it's drama. Um, so, it was such drama it was yeah. brilliant it was like uh, there was loads of what happened the red zone thing was just pointing the spotlight on the fact that there was like loads of that happening yeah, around yeah. like the the landslide wins for any side wasn't um, weren't huge but yeah I kind of felt as if I um, I don't know if you've seen the muffin top um episode of Seinfeld but uh, no. one of the characters decided that they only like the top of the muffin they don't want the rest of it I kind of felt like I, I, that would be my approach to basketball. Yeah, if you, you get the best me, bits. If they could start every match on a day at like quarters apart so you could watch the final quarter of every match, mm. that'd be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I could sit down and watch a lot. Good way to watch it. Is it a good, is it a good um, fan experience, the NBA? Brilliant, is absolutely it? brilliant. Well, as you can imagine with any work in sport, you've got all the food and drink that you need. You've got the foam finger out. There's no bad, like we were towards the uh, back of the arena, so our view should have been not great. There's mm. no real bad view. Like given the basketball court, it's not like a um, giant football stadium or whatever where you can be really far removed from the action. So no, it was, uh, seen that. There was a viral, sensational. There was a photo during the rounds the other day on, online, the, the NBA. It was one of the record attendances. Uh, San Antonio Spurs set the NBA regular season game attendance record, but there was photos then from up in the stands and like, some people have a horrific view of the of the court. They're so far back. It's almost like Wait, a football what? stadium. Right. The court's right in the middle and there's people around the court and then there's little kind of tiered seating mm-hmm. near there. And then it's a gap of no people. And then it's the, the actual football right. stands and then people are way up in the... But we the were very far there. back. You were? Oh, it's fine. Yeah, we were, we were like nearly the back row of the Madison Square Garden. And it was, Maybe it just it? depends on the one you're in though as well. Probably, to be fair. I mean, it's um, like any football you could stadium see it, yeah. or any. And also, we were totally in awe. Like it was, like, do you know what I mean? Mm. We were like two absolute newbies. But I think what basketball does well, where say maybe NFL or something doesn't, for people who aren't maybe as invested in it as us, is that it's the pace of it is far quicker. And like even any entertainment they have in the middle, it goes a lot quicker than the NFL does. Mm. Whereas mm. NFL, you kind of have to commit yourself to a couple of hours and very little of that time actually being playtime, no matter how good it is. Uh, funny, it leads in nicely to the, the match day experience. I know this was something you'd mentioned, Adrian, as well. The IRFU engaging with supporters to enhance the Aviva Stadium match day experience. Mm. Uh, this is something that, that we've talked about constantly, uh, you know, in terms of when, we're just, when there's live commentaries on and even there's music blaring in the background of the Aviva. And sometimes the fan experience of the Aviva Stadium can uh, leave a little bit to be desired, to say the least. But this is a yeah. quite an interesting re- bit of research. That yeah, the, just to, to sample some, uh, they've spoken to some fans, which is uh, so some cynical response to that online. That's fair enough. That's kind of what you need to do, speak to the fans. I don't know what yeah. the uh, sample size seems to be small enough, but they were saying that uh, 7 in 10 of the people who were sampled claimed that they would not support a ban on alcohol. 7 in 10 said that they um, uh, plan to have... Uh, 
an alcoholic drink uh, during the games and one in four people felt that getting up and coming back with drinks during the game greatly diminished their experience of the game. Now, one in four felt they greatly diminished it. That feels to me there might have been another question where mm. potentially two in four yeah. felt as if it's somewhat diminished. You know yourself the way these <laughs> things are worded. So I'm sure there was aspect of that. And like, look, it, it is hard because even you, if you watch the tweet that the RFU sent out yesterday to announce this, if you look at the reaction to it, there's a whole host of different demographics of people going to the game yeah. in terms of like there's some people with kids, there's some people in their 20s who are going on the lash, there's some people in their 50s or 60s who are going to have two or three games, uh, two or three drinks. Um, and I don't know, I've probably experienced most of those aspects of it. And it can be f- certainly frustrating when there are people up and down all the time. Yeah. When Sorry, when it's the same people up and down all the time. <laughs> that can be frustrating. But there are small measures, I think, that... I don't think that they need to have a business-as-usual approach to this, the RFU. I think that there are small measures they can put in place. One thing that I was suggesting before was maybe like some seat service. Um, it's not an ideal solution because you do have somebody obviously roaming around the, yeah. the um, stands. But at the same time, at least that's somebody who's got a bit more cop on than Knows the person the who's three or four or five to. points in yeah. and who couldn't give two hoots. They know you get it in the, the NFL, down. don't you, in the basketball probably as well. Exactly, you do. You get loaded of that. And it's manageable. And it also means that the queues then inside are obviously a bit less... Uh, obviously people will need to go to the toilet if there's enough seat service Um, but then you could obviously have the secondary bit of having the stewards ensure that there needs to be a break in play before people will be allowed to return to their seats you could also ask people who are getting out of their seats to adopt the same approach Mm. with some PA messaging wait for a break in play before you get up like I know I was at a game recently at the Aviva Um, uh, might have been it might have been one of the Novembers. And yeah, it was definitely that same experience where there was some people come up there was three people coming back from the bar in the middle of the game. There was a load of action. We were down the right hand side, there was a load of action down the left hand side. Mm. They stood right in the way of it as there was a key try opportunity happening and blocked the view for a couple of hundred people behind them. Jesus. Infuriating, like and zero cop on. Now there were at least one sheet to the wind at that stage, so mm. that's going to happen. Still, you're missing... There's probably some measures, I think, that they You've paid for your place. ticket, you're missing a live moment. That's well, that's the, my thing. Like, surely if you do want to have a couple of pints during the game and you want to go... Like, just order two pints at the start of the game. If you want another one at halftime, go at halftime, come back. Like, mm. I, I also just don't understand where a bit of cop-on and common sense doesn't come into these things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously, the Aviva will have to put in some sort of regulations because not everyone is going to have that but the majority of people and from what it seems is that a lot of people are going and getting up during games just buy a couple of pints at the start and then hey presto I have to say I have been the soldier who's wanted a pint in the middle of a half right but I will also say that that has generally tended to not be the most dramatic games against Mm. the biggest opponents like it's often to be honest you're down there watching Ireland Fiji and it's like, it's nice to be able to watch stuff on the, on the pitch and it's mm. entertaining and you're obviously into it. But it's not quite like, I can't miss a couple of minutes here to go and get a beer. So I'm not, I wouldn't be saying that I'm... Uh, and this is an IRFU, this isn't FAI. Like the, the soccer matches at the Viva are different in that, well, you can't drink at your seat. Mm. I'm fairly sure for a start. So you don't have that element of people kind of standing in front of you and getting in the road. But yeah, it's... Um, I like the choice, but I mean, I do understand all sides there's no solution yeah. that's best for everybody anyway that's no. the other but also side with the FAI like I was at Ireland Norway with my dad and the majority like the seats were kind of empty because the majority of people were just standing inside in the corridors outside the bar watching the match through the windows because they did want to have a pint mm-hmm. so like there is also that side of it as well because I know a few times people have said that the uh, Irish games are better but when I saw and I know like it was a friendly and it wasn't anything mad and people were probably more going as a recreational thing than an ardent supporter thing but 
even still, like it just it was weird because especially after the first half, most of the seats just emptied out and you could just see the majority of people. And like there was about three deep standing in the corridors as well. You know, it wasn't a case of where you actually had a nice little perch for yourself. It was quite a lot of people, so... Well, I think you could do that for food. I think you could do the seat service thing for food as well. Mm. Yeah. Do you know? Like, it, it, you go out at half time, but I've, uh, kids are match mad at the minute. I was going to say, especially to every game that happens. And you stand in the queue for 15 minutes at half time, That's and it's an absolute experience. killer, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't no. mind doing it for yourself, but when you, when you have kids in tow, it, I'm sure oh, it's... Oh, and they're pulling and dragging, and there's like... yeah. <laughs> And also, Q, you're trying Q to keep jumpers. them sometimes like entertained during a game because, like, it can be a long time for a kid to keep attention oh, sure, on not, something. Not, they're, they're so, if someone's like, actually coming to your seat and being like, "Do you want a hot dog? Do you want some chips? Whatever it is, yeah. that's probably going to keep them entertained 100%. for a good few minutes yeah. compared to standing in those awful queues." Mm. My kids are. We play a game of um, "Where's the ball at the minute?" They're at that sort of an age, and uh, so so I'd that that's great. Or. No, it's really good, and it and it engages them for a little period of time. But it, what happens is they keep going. There it is. There it is. Uh, there it is. There do, it is. You so you can I imagine spy. the reaction from everybody around when that goes on for long enough. You need to play I Spy and pick something very random. Oh, good that a kid shout, might yeah. even know what it shout, is. Yeah. And then they'll be there the whole game trying well, to pick We're going to Crow Park on Sunday for the club final, so <laughs> I'll, um, I'll that keep that in mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Apologies if my eyes keep getting um, drawn downwards to the screen here, but the Australian Open is ongoing. Murray and Berrettini. Murray saved a match point in the 10th game there um, and secured the game to make it 5-5. Berrettini won his service game then to make it 6-5. It's currently Murray's service game here and he needs to, of course, win this game to take it to a deciding tie-break in the fifth and final set here. The Australian Open in Melbourne, they're on the Rod Laver Arena. Uh, probably a good time to mention what's coming up for the rest of the show between now and uh, 10 o'clock as well. As uh, Catherine mentioned, plenty to come. Uh, 7.50, we'll be joined uh, very shortly by Mark Lawrence to talk to Liverpool and the Premier League season so far. Plenty of other talking points. Uh, David Moyes has done a very interesting interview, tell-all interview as well. We've only seen a, a teaser of that so far. Uh, but uh, Laro, of course, a good friend of Moisey, so we'll, we'll get his, uh, his thoughts on that. Ten past eight, Catherine Murphy live from Melbourne with uh, the latest, uh, hopefully this game would have finished by that point, uh, Andy Murray and uh, Matteo Berrettini. Uh, we've got Shea Given at around ten to nine, uh, talking all things Newcastle. Um, and they're, they're up to third in the Premier League. They're flying high. Semi-finals of the Carabao Cup as well. Ten past nine, Courtney Cronin to, uh, to discuss the NFL. Ahead uh, of the divisional run games this weekend. Tom Brady out. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing last night to the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, Brady, is it his last time on an NFL pitch? It certainly appears to be his last, last time playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but whether or not he heads into the uh, punditry game right now remains to be seen. And at half past nine, Dominic King is on the show. Um, we had a couple of other uh, last bits to mention. I know, Adrian, in the back pages of some of the papers, we have uh, Paulie Clifford's famous, infamous speech now about the uh, the referees and talk of maybe some disciplinary breaches or disciplinary punishments to come in. I, I guess we don't know how how it's going to be dealt with at this stage. Yeah, the Irish Daily Mail this morning, it is on most of the pages and there's some quotes in him and some of them and he's uh, due on off the ball tonight as well. If they can get themselves out of the golden nugget, mm. I suspect that uh, he might make an appearance there. Uh, Michael Clifford writing about it in the Irish Daily Mail. Clifford may be asked to apologise for speech. GA Chiefs could be set to ask Kerry Starr, Paddy Clifford to apologise to referee Thomas Murphy for remarks made in his controversial acceptance speech after Sunday's uh, junior final. Uh, but there, I don't see anything else in there that... Um, other than maybe he's got a source that's given him this information, but I don't see anything concrete that that, that would be the case. And look, maybe he'd just be, maybe he'll just do that over the passage of time. There definitely seems to be like a narrative coming from the Fusser camp straight away from you know the David Clifford interview afterwards that, listen, this is all just part of the game and this is what happens. And like, I don't know, uh, the context, what happens here would be interesting to see. There'll be... It, 
a call for calm heads, obviously, and for people to sit down and establish exactly the facts. Was there a bit of John on the pitch mm. in the lead into this stuff? Was there something stuff coming from the Fusser side that that um, inevitably there was? Thing, there were things said that might have been like said that was sort of context. Like I'm not saying that there was any context, by the way, to that Anton Coyle short elbow. That yeah. was absolute. I think you described it in the show yesterday. Tuggery was. Um, and it did take the sheen off what was an amazing game, an amazing day. I'm sure it took some element of the sheen off the win. I saw footage online last night of Stewartstown team arriving in home yeah. and I'm sure it takes some of the sheen off what should have been a big, despite the defeat, celebration for them given the year they had as that, well. That for me, Adrian, though, is the point in that I saw the same clip as well of the Stewartstown players arriving home and it struck me last night, I was thinking, oh, maybe it takes a bit of the sheen off it. But then I was thinking, I don't think... I think that it's so commonplace in, in Gaelic football and hurling now to get involved in, in a lot of that aggro. A lot of the physicality and the, the, the things that are said, some of the ter- terrible things that are said between players. I actually think it's so common that it's not being thought about in Stewartstown at the minute. Like I think it's it's not. Didn't look like it from the video. No, to be honest, like that was proper bonfires all the way home. Everyone out in the town. Hundred percent. Kids allowed to stay up late to like celebrate with the team. Yeah. I don't think just part of the game. Yeah. If anything was being discussed in the pubs, like after the match, I'd say it's probably like, oh, what did what did he say to you? Mm. I'm sure and people I'm sh- are going to give their own people that benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that they were probably heroed for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the horrible reality. But I'm sure there was a lot off. of them that like, oh, you know, I'm sure all this chat was happening at a very real level in terms of you know what may or may not have been said on the pitch and the actions that were taken. And I'm sure there's like, a, they're all out to get us. And you know, I'm yeah. sure there's that that siege mentality aspect to it now, although it'd be too late to affect the result. But yeah, um, it would be interesting to see if they could just do some sort of a report into it and establish facts and let everybody know about that and like it be for it to be a warning to. Yeah, whoever the next team that decide they want to go the same route. Yeah, look, it doesn't take away from Stewartstown year. They were Tyrone champions and intermediate and uh, provincial champions as well. They've had a fantastic year. The point was that, as I said, the Anton Coyle thing was. I think horrific. it does take away from the year. I genuinely, so. like as a neutral observer looking at it, I would have no great sort of graph for looking at. I would have no great graph for looking at Stewartstown again on on the TV I, in I any think, kind of a game. I think that like that there's to be no there's to be no um, there's no good out of that. Like no, no, no. no. For you sure. Know, I, th- I think it, it does. Uh, for them, I understand Kathleen's point. That's totally fair enough. I'm sure that the celebrations are not long into the night and uh, for a few nights and more luck to them for the year they've had. But I think for the rest of us, we're entitled to say that was shocking. Yeah. And there, you said it yourself. There's no place for it in a football pitch. And um, Well, Anton Coyle shouldn't be near a football pitch for a long time. I don't, yeah, look, I don't know. The point is he might only get a couple of game banned, judging by you know what, what we're reading in the papers. One game banned maybe for... The other three Stewartstown players that were sent off. And, that would and seem maybe to be. I don't know what the right number is, but that would seem to be low. I mean, that's remarkably low. Yeah, it's a sort of situation where I don't even know if you ban someone for games. I think you ban them for like a year, a couple of yeah, years, it's a period whatever of time. it is. Yeah, it's a period of time. There is a message there, like you know, people say people look ne- negatively upon the um, make an example of them thing, but yeah. I think that's fair enough. Like, I mean, it was. It's not his fault that it was broadcast live on TV, but it was broadcast live on TV. There's a lot that. of people he looking was fully at it. Aware of that, it, the the end of the game and a more sort of a somewhat uh, lighthearted note reminded me of uh, watching Game of Thrones. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones aficionado, right, right. but at the end of the game just played out like an episode of Game of Thrones. Every new plot twist just had your jaw on the floor, going, "I've never seen this before," and surely. That hasn't just happened. Surely not. Like the executioner wielding a sword over the head after, the, like in season <laughs> one, Sean Bean 
you're like spoilers surely I mean I'm Bad hoping that no, I'm not spoiling it 10 years on <laughs> yeah. um, Ned Stark's neck is on the line in season 1 and you're like I know but like this is going to be a dream sequence Dallas style dream sequence and he's it going to emerge happen. from the shower and this is actually whatever the version of a shower at that stage was surely not Hodor in like season 4 um you couldn't believe that such an icon had been lowered to his uh, to his death like this. You were, surely, surely, and no more can happen at this stage. And then the mo- most famous scene of them all was the end of the game as the full-time whistle is blown, the Red Wedding, um, akin to some, you know, that scene that happened at the end of the game. Scores being settled all over the shop, all parties losing key people, and ultimately no real winners at the end of the day. <laughs> it, that was beautiful, it's fair. <laughs> no, poetry, Game of Thrones and Gaelic games mixed in together. Um, yes, but it's wonderful. It, it, it kind of was one of those. Endings. It was the red wedding at the end. Yeah, it was, it was just everybody was flailing. Everybody what? lost the plot. It was. Yeah. Uh, should bring people's attention to this because Andy Murray. They're in the, the tie break, and Andy Murray is steamrolling the tie break so far. He's five nil up in the uh, the fifth set tie break. He's got the serve for this next point. We might just stick with this for a second because uh, this has been incredible from Andy Murray to to even get this far. As you said, Adrian. I mean, the fourth set. You're thinking he has to win this to to get through because. We know what his legs are like. His body is uh, is getting on in years, as we said earlier. But um, the fact that he's able to get to a fifth set and hopefully win it, was that out? I think it was out. 5-1. You'd have got no odds on, t- on anybody saying, given Murray's age profile and the context of everything that's happened to him over the last couple of years, you'd got no odds on anybody saying if it got this stage of the game that he was going to do what Not he's doing hope. right now. Not a hope. But Bertini would have been the huge favourite. He's the 13th seed, of course, as well. So it would be a shock if Murray could do this. Uh, course, Murray and you've also be. cursed him by saying he's doing great and he's uh, five. Uh, five <laughs> what is it? First two uh, serving now to go six one. I assume it's first to uh, yeah, it's first to seven win by two, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To win the tiebreak. So I mean, uh, he needs to do this. I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting to get nervous for Andy Murray. Of course, he's Scottish if he wins, and and what? No, sorry, British if he wins, and Scottish if he loses. Isn't that it with Andy yep. Murray? So his nationality tends to change. He's one of the only British or English. They kind of they, they oh, interchange yeah, of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They don't really mind taking him as one of their own. So um, serve him for six one, and then, then serve will cross over to Bertini. Match point. Yeah, yeah. He'll have a number of match points if he can. Uh, you know, it's just a time for an ace, Andy. Come on, bang out an ace there, lad. <laughs> you can do it. Oh, he hasn't done it, but it's out. Six one. Six one. Six one. Murray. Surely he can't oh, lose it. On the edge here. now. Surely he can't lose it from here. I want to hear your best uh, BBC style Wimbledon commentary on this one now, <laughs> But the, the reality, I think, for Andy, Sue Barker. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Andy Murray, uh, if he wins this, will have his eyes set on, obviously, deeper into the tournament. But the reality is, from given where he's come from, this is total success for him. Oh, yeah, completely. Incredible. No matter what happens from after this, if he gets over the line. Well, it's an easy sport to comment it on because uh, during the rally, you just don't talk at all. This is also true. <laughs> now, we can't really get away with that. But Bertini, Bertini's serving here. Murray returns. Serving for 6-2. Hopefully it's not a rally of uh, 40. It's out from Murray, so it's 6-2. Uh, we should, I mean, this is tense. Colin is telling us to move off to tennis. Yeah. Stop talking about tennis. Sorry, it's, move first to 10. it's first to 10, apparently, so we can maybe talk We can maybe talk away around this uh, and come back to it because uh, what you mean, it's first to 10, 6-2. Um, so, yeah, that tiebreak is going to keep us occupied for the next little while. Uh, keep the comments, by the way, coming in on the, the YouTube channel as well. A lot of people uh, have their views on the, the fan experience at the Viva uh, Stadium as well. Uh, Michael says the experience of stadiums for the last few years feels like forced entertainment with bad music and announcements etc and maybe too much influence from marketing teams or social media managers there's definitely something in that the music before games is just you can't hear yourself think I I think that uh, for afternoon games lower the volume down 
please lower the volume down yeah. at all these stadiums. Evening games, I don't mind it so much. It's there's a different profile of people at the game. There's no, it's not really a family thing if there's like seven, eight o'clock yeah. uh, start. So that's my view on it. Hundred uh, percent. Keep those comments coming in. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye on this tennis as well. But at seven fifty eight a.m. on this Tuesday morning, delighted to welcome the former Liverpool and Republic of Ireland international defender Mark Lawrence into the show. Morning, Laurel. How are things? Uh, <clears throat> all good, apart from a heating failure in the house, which is why I've got my cap on. But right. Other than that, we're all good. Good Peaky Blinders hat, I like it. Yeah, yeah, you're pulling it off there, Thank Mark. You. I have to say. Fair play to you. Um, I borrowed it off my dad who passed away, so. Ah, lovely. Nice, lovely. nice story to it as well. Uh, we, mm. we, we'll keep an eye on this, Andy Murray game. We'll, we'll update the uh, listeners and viewers as, uh, as, as things go. 6 3 Murray currently in this tiebreak. Uh, we do want to talk to Liverpool, though, Laro, because, I mean, the result of the weekend was disappointing again, but more so the performance against Brighton. 3 0 defeat. Yeah. Uh, I think Klopp described it as the low point of his own Liverpool tenure. Would you go along with that? Well, I think I didn't, he wasn't even stronger, which was ever, I think he said. I thought he said that the worst result ever in performance from, from a team. And we know they've been struggling. And the problem is, we know what the, prob, what the problem is, it, which is obviously midfield. Um, and that's a fact, affected everything that Liverpool do. Because if you think about it, you know, they're very attacking-wise from the back with the two full-backs. Um, but there's no protection in midfield at the moment. There's no creativity. So you can have who you want up front and they just aren't creating any chances. And they're in a rut. And obviously the problem is tonight they go to, to Wolves, which which will be tight because of the way that Wolves are, uh, are playing under Lopetegui. And I wouldn't mind betting they might even go out of the competition, which I don't think in Klopp's mind would be, would be the end of the world. But then really you're talking about having to, having to at the very least beat, you know, Champions League and that that's around the corner, Real Madrid at home in a couple of weeks, I think. It's a realistic possibility, Mark. I mean, you're looking at the, the table here. They've all, they've already lost six times in the Premier League. They're only mm. beaten four times in 63 games across all competitions last season. I mean, 10 points adrift of the top four as well. Is that a realistic possibility that they might not get that top four? Because, I mean, the way yeah. City and Arsenal United and Newcastle are playing, it's a, it's a tough four to break into. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, Van Dijk missing as well, but he, he wasn't playing particularly well either. Yeah, yes, most definitely. And, you know, we all know, as I said to you before, the problem is is, is that lacking in midfield players, I don't think Jordan Henderson made a tackle, apparently, somebody said, at the weekend at Brighton. Um so it is it it is a possibility. I mean, Klopp's been through this before, but he's he's looking at the players that he's got, and whichever way he changes them around at the moment, they're just not at it. I mean, they could easily have gone out against Wolves in the first game in the FA Cup because of uh, the lack of VAR at that particular moment late on in the game. The kids are what they are, the kids, um, and they're not ready for it. And you know, he's also a bit reluctant to chuck them in at the moment because. The, the team's suffering and therefore they would suffer and you bring kids in when the team's going well, just the odd one or two maybe. And they're just in a little bit of a mess and of course everybody, go and buy some players, <clears throat> go and do this and go and do that. But um, that's not the way that they operate at, at Liverpool and we know they took Gakpo, which and I think the reason they took him because they do believe that it was only going to get better and his fee was going to go up and I think his time was now, so you, you understand that. But it's no good having these five or six outstanding forward players and not really getting supplying them with any chances and of course you know they they all of a sudden are thinking well we're not we're not going to get the ball what we're doing so yeah it's it is a bit of a mess at the moment but look you know the best thing about the football club is the manager um and it, and he will sort it but it must, might just be one of those seasons where they miss out on everything I'm afraid
in relation to that point, Mark, about them not that's not the way they do things at Liverpool. The midfield area specifically, like you look at Thiago and beyond that, you have ageing players, leggy players, young players who maybe yeah. not up to it, particularly in the midfield area. That, that's not the way they do things at Liverpool is a f- very fair comment. Is it about time now, probably a lot of Liverpools would say, that maybe they just need to change their ways, particularly in relation to that area of the pitch? Well, <laughs> yeah, good question. But I think, I think the thing is that... Um, Maybe as well. I mean, the owners will be aware of it. And the problem probably is that the, the players that they want, they aren't available. Or if they are, it's absolutely mad money. And really, apart from the purchase of Alisson and, and Van Dyke, they've uh, they've not they've not generally paid more than well, it, thirty forty million generally was what 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 they paid for players. If you look at them and, and made them all better. Uh, certainly, there's there's a whole host of, of players on that list, but it's one of those, isn't it? And um, they, they took the lad on loan from Italy, who's well, basically not played. I think has he gone back now? I think he got injured. Um, so I don't. It's one. It's one of those. I, I just they're not they're not the kind of club under clock that just goes right. Right, you know what? Whatever, we'll just have to go and buy X, Y, Z. Um, that's not the way that they operate. Should he, in that case, if they're not going to bring somebody in, like sticking with the system as it is, does he need to be more adaptable in that? Like if they're not bringing a player in, it's not working for them in midfield. Like you see the way teams are playing mm. through them so easily. Does he need to change it up a bit or is it just too unclop like I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of both. When you say change it up a little bit, I mean, basically, who, who else does he bring in? I mean, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain is playing at the moment and I think most people would have looked at at the Ox at the start of the season and thought, well, this will be his last last year at Liverpool. And maybe even he might have gone in this this transfer window because he's just, I'm afraid he's just off it. Kate has never really done it. He's one of the few clock signings that's not really done it. We've seen it in little um little bits and pieces where you think, wow, what a player, but he just disappears in games. And you know these the the, the, you know, the kids Elliot etc. Carvalho, it's too early for them. It's too early for them to be playing on a, on a regular basis. And you can actually destroy young players by you know consistently playing them. And the idea with young players is just to kind of they can dip dip in and dip out. Uh, Curtis Jones, too many touches really. When he's got the opportunity to play, he's not. Really, I mean, he came on obviously with that with that goal against Arsenal in the FA Cup, however, two or three years ago. And in all honesty, he's, he's not kicked on, so it's it's a difficult one because what what do you do? Um, do you do you put a defensive minded player in? There? I mean, Fabinho, Fabinho's. Oh, he went away at the World Cup and he's looked ordinary. And generally, Fabinho is a seven or eight out of ten every time he plays. He sits in front of the back two. Um, and does it does whatever he needs to do, um, but he's just not at it as well at the moment. And I think a little bit you can go back to last season, and I think this is a, a relevant argument, which is they played in every single game possible, didn't they? So they they got to three cup competition finals and obviously played all the, all the games in the league, and they they didn't have too much uh, of a preseason, and it was probably too early. And I know it's quite, people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's the turn of the year now and everything. But if you look at them, generally, nearly all of them, they just all look leggy. And it's a really, really difficult one for the manager to, to, to cope with. And like anything, 
when you when you look like that, you kind of think, oh, we can give them a bit of rest, etc. But look, you know, they're playing they're playing every three days at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, that's like fair. like everybody. Mm. Yeah, fair fair point, Mark. I mean, the the fatigue is certainly something that was picked up on and mentioned by by Jordan Henderson and Jurgen Klopp after the match uh, at the weekend. Just a brief departure to mention that Andy Murray is through to the second round of the Australian Open. He is Marvellous. beaten. Yeah, great result for, for Andy Murray. I was, uh, in five many, s- many years ago, I was sorry, many years ago, I was on a plane from Barcelona back to England and, and uh, I sat next to him and he was only be about 16 or 17. And, I, you know, easy to do. I was like, I was sat in my seat and then I saw this lad come down with all these these rackets and everything. And I'm typical. I sat there and I said, oh, so you're a tennis player. And he looked at me <laughs> thinking, you moron. Um, but he's a really nice fellow. And if you, th- if you think about what him and Jamie have been through in their life, I mean, Dunblane. Mm. So, you know, and I always thought maybe about 18 months ago, well, that's probably the end of, of Andy Murray with his hip injuries, et cetera. And he's a fighter, isn't he? He really seriously is a fighter. Maybe maybe could play for Liverpool tonight against Wolves. <laughs> Was there a bit of game recognised game, Mark? Did he know you were? No, absolutely no, no idea. Just sort of this old buffer. Did you give him the CV? <laughs> Get no. the Wikipedia out, no? <laughs> no, no. Didn't bother. No, no. In, no. Fact, in fact, to be fair, it was that long ago. I don't think Wikipedia was out. Probably, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of those things. He's he's quite impressive. I mean, physically, Murray. The fact that he's come through a five setter, especially uh, against the thirteen seed. Yeah. So it was three six three six six four seven six six seven. So Murray winning that final set tiebreak ten six. So brilliant, brilliant win for him uh, on the Rod Laver Arena. We'll, we'll chat to Catherine Murphy a bit later in the show as well about that uh, about that performance. Uh, Mark did want to touch on when you're talking about. The Liverpool tactics and formation. Like I'm just reading here some of Klopp's comments from his press conference yesterday. He's saying ahead of this uh, replay in the FA Cup tonight against Wolves, he has two senior strikers available. You'd imagine that's Salah and uh, Gakpo. Nunez is likely to be uh, an injury risk, but uh, I mean that that might inadvertently make sure that he moves from a four-three-three to a four-four-two. It was four-four-two that they played against Man City this season when they when they won by a goal to nil. I mean, bit of cover for the fullbacks in that scenario as well. Are they better in a four-four-two than a four-three-three? Um, well, it's worth trying because at the moment it's not working, is it? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's also he's been sort of hoisted by his own sword, really, in many many ways because he, he loves the two fullbacks to get forward, and probably just at the moment is a little bit kind of well, hold on, boys, because we're, we're conceding goals on on a regular basis. So, listen, he'll, he'll have thought long long and hard about it. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but. He very, very rarely changes the way that he plays because he has this belief, obviously, in the way that he plays. And as, as we know, generally, it's, it's been very, very successful. So I'm not sure I'm doing the game tonight, and I, but I'm, I'm sat here thinking I'm not quite sure exactly how he's, he's going to set up his team to play. But I think he, at the very least at the moment, he's got to make them more difficult to play against, therefore more difficult to score against as well. Is it a cycle, Mark? Because I was reading an interesting piece by Miguel yeah. Delaney in The Independent yesterday. He was talking about the famous, I think it was Bob Paisley originally said it and Alex Ferguson adopted the quote as well that you know most great teams have a cycle of, of three or four years. If you look at it, this Liverpool team are in probably their sixth year of this cycle. So does he just have to nearly stop and, and rebuild the second team from here or how do you think it, uh, it'll work? No, from, I, from I think you're right. I think you're right. But I don't I don't think it needs a massive rebuild. That That's the thing. But it... It looks, as we spoke before, that this rebuild may be not happening until the summer. And also, of course, in, in the background is what, what are the owners doing? Are they seriously looking for investment, but not over 50%? So they're still 
in, in control of the club or are, are, or are they just sort of sitting to themselves saying, you know what, um, let, let's just sell it and obviously go off and back to America and do whatever they want to do with the money. Being generally, and uh, they've been very, very successful as owners. They, they made the odd mistake, which which owners haven't done, but, but they understand that, you know, um, with having a sporting franchise, you know that you, know, you get a loss of form, you get injuries at, at key times, etc. So they're not exactly panicking. I think they've looked at the season. It's one of those which is, look, let, let's get through to the summer and have a little look and see what we can or cannot do regards new personnel, etc. I think chaos has been a word that has followed Darwin Nunez around since he's, since he's joined. But, um, I mean, I, I guess the absence... And departure of Sadio Mane is being um, highlighted even more so now, Mark. Yeah, well, it is. You get that because Mane was great. And Mane was great without the ball. Uh, we, we know how good he was with the ball. But he was just one player. So I, I think Nunes will come good. I, I really seriously do. Um, but at the moment, obviously, that, that, that's an issue. And having, having your strike, most of your strike force injured as well is, is just purely unlucky. And it's not it's not like they've been pulling up in training or anything like that. It's, it's all been in games, but I'm pretty sure it is all related to um, what they've been through in terms of uh, terms of last season. I mean, Jordan Henderson. I was, I don't know how how much it uh, covers in terms of of the games. You know, wherever he goes and plays, etc. But um, he's he's way off the pace at the moment, and he's he's really really struggling and. You're looking around and saying, well, who can we replace him with? Well, do you know what? They haven't really got anybody to replace him with. We can't stick catering again. Well, we can, but he's he's just never, ever done it. You can see there's something there, but he's, he's, he's one of those that's failed. And when you look at clock signings, there are very, very few of those who have failed. And and generally, when you when you actually seriously look at them, over the last what was it five or six years, as you were talking about, he's made very good players into world class, um, which is for a coach is obviously you know the best CV ever. So I think sometimes you look at it and think you know what it's just not it's going to be one of those seasons. Whether whether it's one of those seasons that the next season is is just as bad, I'm not sure. But obviously that's a long way off yet. Speaking of things <clears throat> that might be a long way off, I was surprised to see some of the quotes from his press conference in the papers this morning and he was talking about, like the question came up about whether he might leave the club and obviously he's very bullish about that and uh, yeah. unless I'm told to go, you said earlier on he's the best thing about the football club. It feels mm. like we're a long way from that. Oh, from him going? Yeah, no. No, I, I think, you know, it's not so much... It, with Klopp, it won't be losing games. It will just be kind of, you know, wake, waking up in bed and thinking, I've had enough regardless. And I think that's just the way that he is. I mean, Liverpool did really, really well to, to attract him in the first place because I think he was on, didn't he say he was having like a, a one-year hiatus mm. and obviously his phone or his agent's phone would have been ringing all the time, etc. And he looked at Liverpool and kind of thought, you know what, there aren't many clubs that I would decide to change my mind for, but he, but he did. But now he's, he's the most important person at the football club. Absolutely. Without without him, without him, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are or what they've done. So he is he is that important. He's and you, you can feel it. You can see it with him that that he's just thinking every every time they play, going, "What's going to happen today?" And for a manager, that's the worst possible thing because generally 
with all his teams, he knows that they were going to win most of the games that they play in. But at the moment, he's looking and thinking, right, well, what, what's happening today? What else is going to go wrong against us? And, you, you know, you don't feel sorry for yourself. It's just one of those things that happens. I mean, when I, uh, when I first signed in, God, it was 1981 at Boxing Day, we were beaten at home by Man City. We were beaten, I think, 3-1 at home against Man City. And we were 14th in the league. And this was a Liverpool team that had won the uh, European Cup six months earlier in Paris, the 1-0, the, the Alan Kennedy goal. And all of a sudden, all, you can imagine all the local papers and, and uh, TV and everybody saying, oh, they've gone, Liverpool have gone. That's it. It's the end of the cycle. Unfortunately, we had one or two young players come into the side and we ended up winning the league. We went 20-odd games unbeaten. So you just you just never, ever know, do you? That's, that, that's the thing with football. But, but at the moment, they're, they're way off the pace. Just while we had you, Mark, I wanted to bring you this, uh, this clip. So, uh, of course, your, your, your good pal David Moyes and, and West Ham struggling at the moment, sitting in 18th in the Premier League standings and in a bit of relegation bother, but still plenty of time uh, left. There's been a, yeah. a clip doing the rounds yesterday of, of David uh, Moyes doing an interview with um, the Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett. Uh, some really, really interesting things have already come out of this in terms of the, the teaser. Just uh, for anyone who hasn't heard it, have a listen. They would be out screaming at you at half time. They'd be screaming you at the end of the game. What's the toll of that? David the Messiah Moyes. One of the best known football managers across the globe. Building teams with a clear identity. So where am I looking and who am I talking to? I was desperate to be successful as a manager and I had 11 years at Everton where we were finding it really difficult to break into the top four. The phone rang. It was Sir Alex. And he said, I'm retiring, and you're the next manager of Manchester United. No interview, not saying, would you like to be? And I met Edward on the next day, back to his house again, and we met the Glazers. It was three days, and that was as simple as that. To get that offer from the greatest manager maybe there ever was was a great compliment. But maybe if I'd really looked into in more detail and more depth, there was a huge change going to have to take place. I trusted Manchester United. Do you feel like that trust was let down? Definitely. But my biggest regret was... We start with the story that has dominated the front pages, the sacking of David Moyes. How did you find out that you're losing your job? Media. Oh, really? If you've got any class or any style, you have to give bad news well. What are those steps forward to get West Ham competing at the very top of the table? I want to build a new West Ham. A lot of supporters might not like the sort of that. When you look at where West Ham is now, do you worry about losing your job? I've got to say... Yeah, fascinating uh, stuff from the Diary of the CEO with Stephen Bartlett there, Mark. Like, even just the way in which he, he finds out he's getting the sack from United uh, via social media. Uh, but for me, even, just the fact that when he was getting the job at Old Trafford, just gets a call from Alex Ferguson, you're taking, you're taking over from me, and he, he meets up with the, mm-hmm. the hierarchy the following day. Some really interesting things. and I mean, uh, fascinating stuff that we weren't quite aware of with, with David. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you know, I know him really well, so... Mm. Um, and I was I, I went to quite a lot of the games at, at Man United when he, when he got the job, which was quite interesting. Sat there in the director's box, obviously an ex Liverpool player. Um, he's driven, Moisey, absolutely, totally. He just he just lives for football. I mean, God help his missus Pam. I mean, she she lives in Lytham up on the northwest, and you know, he's just he's football, football, football. 
And obviously they're struggling at the moment, but and I would say this, of course, but just just let him manage because he'll get them out of the mess that they're in. But his whole life is football, absolutely, totally football. And um, it's just one of those guys. I mean, I thought he did a, a fab job at Everton when you look at the players that he brought in and they sold on, et cetera. So it'll be fine. It'll be, it'll, it'll be fine. I never worry about him. I, I, I spoke to him um, the other week. I can't remember. They'd just been beaten again somewhere. And he, he, you know, he was he was apoplectic, but he's not he's not got too much to worry about, has he? Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, the, the results from his perspective start to to, to look up and uh... yeah. Well, he's, he, in fairness to him, he's, he is one of the good guys that people mm. who, who know him will tell you. He just is one of the good guys, but he is absolutely football mad. <laughs> Loves it, uh, Mark. Mm. Very finally, uh, score prediction for Liverpool Wolves tonight in the cup. Um. They're going to go through on pens. Oh, who wolves? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But I think Liverpool. Excuse me, I've got this hacking cough. Um, I think Liverpool will go through on pens because basically they don't. I don't think they're that bothered about still being in the competition because really they need to be Champions League, aren't they? So you know what will happen? They'll end up going to going on and winning it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, winning it tonight yeah, rather yeah, than not, winning not the, the overall. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Mark, great stuff as always. Thanks a million for joining us. Pleasure. Lovely stuff. Uh, 18 minutes past eight on this Tuesday morning. Go to BAM. That was Mark Lawrenson, the former Liverpool and Republic of Ireland International. Go to BAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to head to a quick ad break and then we're back with the Irish reporter based in Melbourne, Catherine Murphy, who's been watching Andy Murray versus Matteo Berrettini at the Rod Laver Arena. Stick with us. OTB. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 90 minutes past 8 on this Tuesday morning's O2B. I'm delighted to have you with us between now and 10 o'clock with myself and Adrian. We're heading across now to Melbourne, Australia, live to the Irish reporter based in Melbourne, Catherine Murphy. Morning, evening, good night. Catherine, how are things? Uh, lovely to talk to you, Shane. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. Thanks. We've been we've been glued to this screen, uh, trying to talk on air around the Andy Murray win over Matteo Berrettini here. But um, as Adrian said this morning, I mean, when it, when he lost the fourth set, you're thinking, well, well, that's it. The tiebreak, uh, it's done for Murray because his body can't hack the the fifth set. But he pushed on, and a dramatic, dramatic win for Andy Murray this morning. Unbelievable! I literally cannot believe what I've just watched, Shane. When he went two sets up, I'm not going to lie, and this is a terrible thing to say, I said to my camera off, we're outside, it's 38 degrees, after the bullet, and I said, that's going to go five. It's just so Andy Murray for this to go more than four hours, and it's going to go five sets. And sure enough, it did. Now, I didn't know that he'd also add in, saving a match point, a super tiebreaker. I'm so happy for Andy Murray because he's, worked so hard to get to this point. It's funny, the other day a photo popped up on my social media, uh, a photo from six years ago. Andy Murray was one of the first really high-profile tennis players I ever interviewed. And he is an absolute gentleman on and off camera. He is so funny. He is so kind to everyone on the tour. He's so well-liked. It's been such a journey for him, when you consider where he's been right here in Melbourne in 2019, I was in the player tunnel when he played that infamous five-setter against Roberto Bautista Agut, which he lost 
to the Spaniard because his hip was so bad at that point. He pretty much announced before the tournament that this might be his last, that he was looking like he was going to retire. And I remember looking down the tunnel and he couldn't even lift his bag up. He was grimacing with pain. But then when he came into the view of TV cameras and the audience, he kind of straightened up. He wanted his opponent to at least think he was okay to play. Then, of course, we had the retirement, but not really a retirement because he kind of changed his mind in the post-match interview. They played a big tribute to him and he was like, hang on, I might get surgery. I might come back. If someone told me that day that in 2023, I'd watch him play for almost five hours with a metal hip and defeat Matteo Berrettini. I just wouldn't have believed it. I can't believe what I've just seen. It's it's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, four years after that 2019 Australian Open where you think this is it for Murray and he's still putting the crowd through five setters at, at Grand Slams. And a fan favourite there too, I'm sure, Catherine. I mean, it's it's a, it's a different atmosphere this year than, than the COVID years, of course, at the Australian Open. So I'm sure the, the crowd there were right behind him in the stadium. They were. They were going crazy. And can I give a shout out to the chair umpire, Mohamed Leani, and I really hope I'm pronouncing his name properly. I've never worked on any of his matches. He has this way of emphasizing every word. And when he said Murray, he said it real deep and the crowd started chanting along with him. I tried to count them all. There was at least 10 Scottish flags in the crowd. Then, of course, there's a huge Italian contingent in Melbourne, and they were so vocal, too. I feel like this five-setter has really brought the Australian Open to life. Because last night on Rod Laver Arena, yesterday, I have to admit that we were all a little bit flat because Nick Kyrgios withdrew. It was so sudden, Shane. I was in the middle of a bulletin, a 10-minute bulletin. He actually withdrew and did his press conference Within 10 minutes, we were all so disappointed. Then last night in Rod Laver Arena, Igish Fiontek, who's been so dominant, the world number one, she went through in straight sets. Daniel Medvedev only dropped three games against Marcus Giron of the US. So I think the Australian Open really needed this five-setter and there's just such a buzz around the place this evening. You mentioned about uh, Murray, Catherine, um, limping after one of her matches in the most recent years. He seemed to be hobbling a small bit after this one as well. Just looking at the the draw and how it stacks up, um, I've watched the Breakpoint documentary, so I'm suddenly an expert in uh, Kokonakis. And uh, he's a high-ragged player, and and Fognini, um, they're going to meet for the the right to meet Murray in the next round. But having beaten the seed of Baratini's ranking, the draw really opens up for him now. It does open up for him, but this is the one thing that kills me with these Andy Murray matches. And that's why when he was two sets up, I was like, Andy, do it for your metal hip. For God's sake, can you just finish this one in three? Because you want to see him be competitive in his next round. Now, you saw on TV, I was watching him really closely at the end. I think, this is just me sitting in my seat in the stadium, that he could barely walk up to his chair. He was so good. He was actually, do you notice, I don't know if they showed it on TV, he insisted on cleaning up his area so the ball kids wouldn't have to do it. Like picking up all the water bottles off the floor, it took him ages. But he did look like he was almost struggling to walk. So I just hope that he recovers well. Tanasi Kokonakis is a really interesting one. 
it's so sad. As you know from Breakpoint, him and Nick Kyrgios won the doubles last year and they just brought such an amazing energy to the whole tournament. Such a shame we won't get to see them in doubles. But that Fanini kokonakis match will be interesting. It's never dull with Fabio Fanini, that's for sure. So just even the fact that, that uh, Murray saved a match point in that game, just just quite extraordinary. Just quickly, Catherine, we're, we're going to bring you a quick clip here of uh, of Murray speaking after the match. Clearly delighted at his win. I mean, I'll, I'll be feeling this this evening and tomorrow. Uh, but right now I'm just, yeah, unbelievably happy, very proud of myself. Um, I've put a lot, a lot of work into the last last few months uh, with my team who are here. Um, yeah, to give me the opportunity to perform on stadiums like this and matches like this against players like Matteo, and it paid off tonight. <laughs> it's unbelievable, really, Catherine, isn't it? I mean, like the fact that he's battled for five hours out there on on court with his metal hip. Uh, against a player like Matteo Bertini, who at 5-4 had the game at his mercy, and as I said, Murray saving a, a match point as well. So to put that in perspective, it, it, it's, it's up there in recent years, certainly, with one of Murray's top moments. It is. This is a match we will never forget. It's one of those moments where you're in Rod Laver Arena and you know what you're witnessing. It gives me goosebumps to hear him talk like that. He deserves this so much. And also in that post-match interview, because obviously the winning point was a less. He said, you know, I got a bit lucky in the end. You work really hard to get that lucky. He's such a good guy. Don't you just love it when good guys have good things happen. So I can't help but just be so over the moon for him. I'll tell you, Shane, I often talk to the ball kids about who's their favourite player because they obviously are behind the scenes and they interact with the players all the time. And by the way, they sign confidentiality agreements so they can't say anything negative. But they always pick out Andy Murray and his brother Jamie as just good guys to deal with. So... I'm just so happy for him. I wonder where they'd rank uh, Nick Kyrgios on that, on that list. And it was the subject of my they next... They do love him. Do they? They yeah. do well, love that, him. That was well, what I wanted to ask. He's a superstar they... and he brings a vibe. You didn't get a sense from the documentary. One thing I didn't get a full sense of from the documentary was his relationship with the Australian people. Was there universal disappointment that, that he was out from a from a being on his side point of view? I'll give you my perspective of it, which is just one perspective. So I love Nick. I've known Nick for many years. He's always been great to deal with. I've found him to be really good. You can only judge people on how you find them yourself. He's always been controversial, and he is really polarizing. So to give you an example of how polarizing he is, I was doing a radio cross yesterday on a talkback show, and as I was speaking and talking of my disappointment and saying what a blow it was to the tournament, the text line on that radio show was lighting up with people saying, I won't miss him. He's a disgrace. All of that. And the presenter said to me, just so you know, this is the text line. But guess what? Those people would have still been watching him. Mm. He's so unpredictable. And you know what, Shane? I'm very grateful to him. He's made tennis more popular. He's brought bigger crowds to the tennis. I love the game. I want more people to love the game. I'm really happy that Netflix has given people an insight into the personalities because even more so on the women's side of the draw, 
because Serena's gone and Ash Barty's gone, we need to get to know these players' stories more so that we can really buy into them and support them. So anything that makes tennis more popular and Nick Kyrgios is king of that, I'll support it. Uh, what, what are you hearing, Catherine, about the Djokovic injury or non-injury, this hamstring uh, difficulty that we're, that we're hearing about? He's course going for a for golden year of, of Grand Slams. Is, is the reported injury as serious as, as people think or is it just a non-story? Do you know what? I'm afraid to even talk about it because I can't help thinking, Shane, about last Friday night when we were all watching that exhibition match between Djokovic and Kyrgios and we're all monitoring Djokovic to see how his hamstring is. And we're looking on the wrong side of the net. We had no idea that Nick Kyrgios had been struggling, that he was going to withdraw. I know the tournament organisers of the United Cup were completely blindsided when he pulled out. So with Djokovic... To me, he looks really happy. And you saw him in that exhibition dancing around. That's not, to me, someone who is concerned greatly about an injury. No doubt there is a twinge there. And I don't think Novak Djokovic, some players, they hide their twinges more. And I think with him, we always see it if he's injured. And Daniel Medvedev kind of alluded to that in the way he was almost kind of saying to Djokovic across the net, mimicking him, saying, you know, come on, you don't need to act up when you have a a twinge. But who knows? I don't feel it's a huge problem. I really hope it's not a big problem because it's been great to see him get a great reception here after what happened here 12 months ago. It's great that Melbourne and Australia have moved on from that. Speaking of Melbourne and Australia moving on from, I mean, those COVID years, even last year's atmosphere at the tournament and around the city, Catherine, I'm sure, I'm sure it uh, is in stark contrast to, to this year where there's back to the, the party atmosphere and the carnival atmosphere. How do you compare this year's tournament in terms of atmosphere with, with recent years? Do you know, there isn't even a comparison to last year, for example, because, you know, the way when you're in something, you don't realize that things are a bit weird. And of course, there was a cap on crowds for a lot of the tournament. But because there were so many fairy tale stories after what happened to Djokovic, which was a nightmare, you know, with Ash Barty, with the special case. It was a very special tournament, but it's now only that yesterday when the gates opened, And it was 100% capacity. It ended up being a record attendance here at the Australian Open. I think there was about 75,000 people here in Melbourne Park. And they're expecting a record for the tournament. Now, it'll be interesting to see if Nick Kyrgios' withdrawal affects that because he's not the only withdrawal. The tournament's also without Roger Federer, who's retired, Ash Barty, Venus Williams withdrew, Isla Tomjanovic, who is the top ranked Australian female and I think I can hear Tanasi Kokonakis going on to the court certainly no attendance issues in that stadium it sounds like it's absolutely jam-packed but there's no comparison this is I think and I'm probably a little bit biased because I adore the place but I think this is the best sports event in the world without doubt and I've been to the French Open and it doesn't even compare the Australian Open. Uh, Catherine, we're looking at the draw then on both sides opening up. Um, 
a few surprise results uh, already, as, we, as we've already said. Berrettini last year, semi-finalist, getting knocked out. Um, but already, Rublev beating Dominic Team as well, 6-3, 6-4, So some big names falling. Kasper Ruud, I know, is, 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 is out on court this morning around 9.15am or so Irish time, I think. Uh, and then the, the, the women's side of the draw as well. Igas Viantek, one of the favourites. Uh, like it's fairly competitive on the women's side of the draw. How do, how do you see both sides playing out? I suppose on the men's side, Djokovic is the man to beat. Yeah, for sure. Djokovic is the overwhelming favourite to win his 10th title. And we know how he deals with adversity. We know that he loves to to really come back. When you back him into a corner, he's a very dangerous person to meet in a draw. So he's absolutely the favourite. On the women's side of the draw, Iga Sviantek is so dominant. She's been dominant for so long. However, in the build-up to the Australian Open, she was playing in the United Cup for Poland and they were taking on the US and she got beaten by Jessica Pagula, the American. Now, Jessica Pagula is from a very famous family. They own the Buffalo Bills for starters. I think they own some other sports teams in America. So, from a very sporty background, she had played Iga Sviantek four times in 2022 and she never managed to beat her. Then she comes up with this massive win in the United Cup, an easy victory, straight set, 6-2, 6-2. Iga Sviantek, after that loss, what was most intriguing was she was sobbing under her towels. So she was asked in press, why were you so upset about this loss? And she said she felt helpless against Pagula. She felt like she just couldn't problem solve against her. She just felt like... She was really outdone on that day. Now, I would keep my eye on Jessica Pagula. She had a really easy straight sets win yesterday, and she's determined to have a good run at the Australian Open. But then there's Ons Jabur. You'll get to know her really well in the Netflix documentary. She's from Tunisia. She is so popular. She's been to two Grand Slam finals, and she revealed in a press conference yesterday that... She has trophies on her phone that she wants to win this year. She wouldn't reveal which Grand Slam trophies, and it was Catherine Whittaker of the Tennis Podcast asked her that question. So she has big ambitions. She's so popular. She'd be a great story. But I just have a feeling about Jessica Pagula. Hope I haven't jinxed her, because I'm rarely right. So apologies to Jess. Catherine, before we let go, I know you're a laser focused on the tennis at the minute, but I did want to ask you about uh, Eddie Jones. There's a couple of stories in some of the oh, English yeah. papers today. Uh, the Telegraph saying revealed Jones' secret 14 months of Australia talks. This story just keeps on giving. And then in the Guardian, uh, the RFU decided against inserting a clause in his severance package uh, about talking to uh, rivals for the World Cup for legal and moral reasons so that the uh, the door was open to him. What's been the, I've asked you earlier on about the response to Nick Kyrgios, the response in Australia to the appointment of Eddie Jones on a five-year contract? I couldn't believe this yesterday morning. This story was so big that we move our sports bulletins out to the tennis and I ended up leading with rugby, not tennis, on day one of the Australian Open. There's been a mixed response, but for the most part, a great response. Dave Rennie's a really good guy, I should say that. And there's always such a human side to this. I'm sure it was his dream to coach at a Rugby World Cup. And I hope him and his family are okay because he was so lovely to deal with always. But Eddie Jones, I believe, is what Australia needs right now. Dave Rennie 
has a very different coaching style. Now, the big story will be this year in Australia is how the players cope with that change in coaching style. So Dave Rennie is the sort of guy that's all about love and connection. I'll play my guitar for you. You know, he would literally have a sing song with the players. And then you hear the stories about Eddie Jones telling people, you know, to drink a cup of wet cement or sending cement to people's houses. There are many stories about how tough Eddie Jones is. So how they'll go from that affectionate love to very tough love is going to be interesting. But I'm relieved. I feel like it gives Australia a chance. And of course, they could be on course to meet England in the quarterfinal. And I've been speaking to some of the BBC journalists. And without stating the obvious, there's no way England want to face sacked Eddie Jones in charge of Australia. That would just be a prospect that they don't want to deal with, that's for sure. For the rest of us, it better happen. It just <laughs> yeah. better happen. Yeah, we're licking our lips at that oh, prospect. It would be so good. It would be so good. I am hoping... I'm praying for that quarterfinal. But the main thing I'm hoping and praying for is for Ireland to do well and make it past the quarterfinal. That's my top priority. Hmm. But second priority would be seeing that quarterfinal matchup. It would be amazing. 100%. Will be, it would be absolutely brilliant. So, uh, yeah, the build-up to the Rugby World Cup continues. Uh, Catherine, you've been brilliant with your time. Uh, thanks a million, as always. No doubt we'll check in again before the end of the uh, Australian Open. Pleasure. Love to talk to you anytime. Have a great day. Great stuff. Catherine Murphy there, Irish uh, journalist based in Melbourne, Australia with uh, with ABC Sports. 9am approaching on this Tuesday morning's O2BEM. Just want to tell you about a brilliant charity event that's happening at Rascals Brewing Company in Shakur this coming Wednesday, January 18th, tomorrow. It's called Menawsome, celebrating the success of Irish women in sport. It's all to raise money for Women's Aid and will feature an array of brilliant speakers, including the World Cup-bound Republic of Ireland defender Louise Quinn, Irish hockey legend Roisin Upton, former MMA champion Ashley Daly and plenty more. And it'll all be hosted by our own Ashling O'Reilly. Tickets are just €20 Euro and all proceeds go direct to Women's Aid. Go to rascalsbrewing.com to get your tickets now. Now, time for the papers. Yes, indeed. Time for the paper review. We might split up uh, a couple of these papers. Adrian, I know you have a few over there. Do you want me to just jump in? Yeah, go on. Fire ahead. You can grab away there in the meantime. I'll fill a couple of seconds for you here, Shane. Good man. The uh, Murr is, um, you're, going, you're going, I'm staying. Clap warns of cop summer. Uh, clear out but says I won't quit unless I'm told to that should be music to Liverpool fans ears I would think today if they're going to have a bit of a clear out and you would assume bring some players in and the club is hanging around uh, top duo and Andy plans Johnny Sexton Tyg Furling remain of course to make Ireland Six Nations slash Wales on the 4th of February and battering Ram Richarlison hits back at kicked keeper you disrespected us it felt like I mean there's been a de- bit of defence of Richarlison uh, <laughs> since the game that you know he was just so passionately defending yeah. his people it sort of felt a bit like he was been the pantomime um, hero mm. at the end of that. The Ramsdale that. stuff. Yeah, like there was, there was the no Martin need for him to get involved. Well, yeah, I just, but particularly the stuff at the end, like what was he getting involved for? Ah. He, like he, 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 I think, has some role to play. The fan was an idiot and the fan should be banned and kicked out for whatever length of time they get kicked out for. But I think there's a response to whatever Richarlison is doing. Richarlison is doing... Which, like, Do you know when a player comes off the bench and they feel like they haven't had an impact on the game? Sometimes they overcompensate by getting involved in little bits and bobs. That was my take on. But uh, yeah, Richarlison certainly <laughs> giving it loads uh, in front of the home fans. Back of the Times as well here. Arsenal want £80 million rice, an exclusive by Gary Jacob. 
Arsenal have made Declan Rice their top target this summer and are growing increasingly confident that they can beat Chelsea to the England midfielder signature. Where have I seen this story before? Mikhail mm. Mudrick. Do you think that they're maybe after, it's like an old switcheroo here that <laughs> Arsenal are actually after him. somebody else? Well, and they're just lobbing this out. They're there playing chess. Yeah, and everyone else is playing checkers. Jesus, yeah, that could be that could be a point. Uh, but Declan Rice, yeah, twenty-four, centre of a bidding war. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, we've got Coco Goff on the back as well next for Emirato Canu. That's tomorrow morning, I think, uh, down in the Australian Open. I'm not leaving, says Klopp. And uh, England's defence coach Kevin Sinfield hel- uh, has held talks with Owen Farrell about improving the fly half's tackle technique. So 31-year-old Owen Farrell learning how to tackle. <laughs> Is it, was that a dig? It was. Um, dig, yeah. uh, proud Australia Jones targets World Cup glory. There's more on all of that down there. Uh, Sexton back training as Byrne gets support for Ireland selection. I kind of feel as if we'll be putting back to this headline potentially in what would it be six, seven, eight months time when mm. a World Cup squad gets named and <laughs> Ross Byrne is suddenly in there he certainly does no harm, himself no harm from the boot he's as I've said World Cup standard mm. from the boot and maybe he's got more to offer as well and John's return makes uh, World Cup even more interesting right Jerry Thornley Back page of the Irish Daily Mail here as well Rice on menu Arsenal chase West Ham star and club record summer deal we've got here, uh, here's Johnny, Ireland captain back in blue, Johnny Sexton, and at the bottom there, the story we mentioned at the top of the show, Clifford may be asked to apologise for speech, Paulie Clifford, uh, write a letter. There is precedent for that, apparently, writing the referees. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a mad one. I don't know what will come from that, but uh, maybe something will. I'll do two together here, The Guardian and The Telegraph. Uh, the Guardian, Arsenal, uh, hoping to be Chelsea and United to Rice's signature. I really feel as if we haven't seen the last of that one play out. And uh, Or if you gave Jones the green light to join World Cup rivals Australia the, on the uh, legal and moral grounds, they said it was uh, the right thing to do. And then The Telegraph is sort of the same. Reveal Jones' secret of 14 months of Australia talks. I mean, that definitely begs more questions than it answers. <laughs> and Arsenal planning £70 million, it says here, uh, £70 million summer swoop for Rice. Last couple from myself as well. A couple of the tabloids. The Sun, Aaron's disrespect. Richarlison branded Arsenal keeper Aaron Ramsdale disrespectful for celebrating in front of the Tottenham fans. Uh, Chiodosi wanted if Oba's out. Swansea City wanting Chiodosi Ogbenya to replace Michael Obafemi. Uh, and then we've got the Declan Rice to Arsenal rumours and Rash. Uh, Marcus Rashford uh, united in talks with him over a new £300,000 a week five-year contract. While the back page of the Irish Daily Star has that Aaron Ramsdale Richarlison stuff as well. Paulie Clifford saying, I wish we could bottle this feeling. Uh, GA President Lanny McCarthy saying there are no current plans to look at the structures of local championships with Kerry Intermediate and Junior Clubs dominating at national level uh, and Klopp staying to oversee clear out they of course play Wolves in the FA Cup replay tonight Cahill Milani Sligo's own welcome to the show good morning good morning lads how's it going keeping well I don't know if that that's a story we mentioned in the, in the post show meeting yesterday the, the fact that Kerry Clubs are so dominant at Junior and Intermediate level like is there something that has to be done there? I know the structures in each county are different in terms of the number of teams and senior, intermediate and junior. But I mean, the fact that Kerry clubs have won 11 of the 22 junior All-Ireland finals is mm. pretty stark. I don't know I don't know what they need to do to change it. Does it mean it, that there's just an, a good standard at that? Because the, like the, the chat about the two lads, obviously, the Cliffords, mm. that you know there's no place in junior football. If they had that much of an influence on the team, they wouldn't be playing junior football. They'd have gone up to intermediate and they've gone up to senior long before now. Um, I mean... I do take the point that obviously they stand out, but they've they've, they've risen up a level now on the basis of the of the, the wins. Um, but I don't know. He, what was what he saying that they will look like, at it? You see, I guess isn't it in certain counties the number of teams in each? So say there's say Fossa are the as Nathan was saying to us yesterday, like the 18th best team in Kerry. If you have eight teams in senior, and eight teams in intermediate, Fossa will fall into the junior section. Whereas some counties have 10, mm. 10, 10, or 
12, whatever. Mm. Yeah. So that Foster would never land. But I also suspect that that 18th team in Kerry is way better than the 18th team at a similarly populated county somewhere else because of the focus they have in GA. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the problem is maybe they're playing the 22nd, 23rd, 24th best team in, in Cork or in, in Leash or wherever. Mm. Do you know that they, maybe it's yeah. not equally. Yeah, it's a split. difficult one because you have to give counties their own independence because there's such a difference in various counties in terms of just the number of clubs first of all mm. um, in some of the smaller counties compared to the bigger mm. ones it's very hard to streamline it from central level and as Adrian points out and there was a point that was made in some of the papers as well that even if everyone was equal Kerry's clubs would probably be strong anyway because yeah. they've got such a great tradition and heritage in football and it's not as if like they beat Stewartstown by what was it in the end three points, three points. Yeah, the end, yeah. that's, not, that's not a hammer and I was yeah. at the Croaks um, Kearns O'Reilly's game the other week that was not a hammering it's not, it's not like yeah. and, and, they're and, super, the and they're a super club as well get out of it and the <laughs> carry team were beaten I mean it's not like these are not like handing out steamrollings left yeah. right and centre yeah yeah um, no I think it, it probably will be looked at but that doesn't mean that it'll change anything what and can you do what can you do what can you do um, Just looking, so Kerry clubs have won 7 out of 19 All-Ireland Intermediate Club Football Crowns they're 4 clear of Tyrone in 2nd place with 3 uh, and then it's more stark for junior level Kerry landing 11 out of 21 titles 50% strike rate and you've Galway Cork and Mead next on 2 but sure they've won like a hat full of All-Irelands at senior level does that mean that you need to re? I mean you might have to relook at the senior inter-county football for well, different reasons but do you know what I mean yeah. like just because like they're, they're, they're 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 one of they're are they the most winning county in Ireland in terms of all Ireland's they probably are you see it's yeah but like it's only it's in senior the grades are are equal in terms of the number of teams in senior across the country to my knowledge what it's just an intermediate and junior where That's different the same counties number do of senior clubs in every county well like they're they're saying here for example at senior level. Uh, where the playing field is level. Kerry are fourth in the role of honour with All Ireland club titles. They've got six. Cork clubs have 11, Dublin 8, and Galway 7. I don't think there's the same clubs I, in every county. I think what uh, the best team in each county comes out. It's not necessarily that there's the same number of teams in each senior championship. Um, for example, I think Mayo has something like 16 clubs in their senior championship, and Sligo has 10. Mm. Um, Leitrim would have probably 10 as well, or 12. Um, it, like, you couldn't really ask, like, Kerry has quite a lot of clubs, but they've got divisional teams as well, which you've probably got yeah. to remember. Oh, sure, look at it. That's, so, I mean, that's a totally <laughs> does different this, does, the, does Fuss's success have an impact on those divisional teams? I think it's only if you're a senior club that So you, if they were to get senior, then the two lads would come out I of think so, yeah, I right. think so. So I think James O'Donoghue's club uh, possibly have... Did they get promotion back up to senior? Possibly again. Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head there, but this divisional teams are a totally different mm. layer to everything. And you have to respect the tradition of a county when they do have divisional yeah. teams. And Kerry would say, I'm sure if you ask them, that the divisional teams are a huge part of spotting players like the Cliffords mm. who get a chance to play in the senior championship. Obviously, mm. they probably would have been spotted anyway, but I'm sure there are other players you could point to that may have gone under the radar a bit if they were just playing with their, their own local club. Well, it's pointed out here in the star. So Kerry have just eight senior clubs, meaning that their intermediate champions tend to be very strong and by default their junior champions tend to be very strong. No county has fewer senior clubs than Kerry with between 12 and 16 the norm. Last year's Tyrone Championship in the senior had 16 teams. So I guess what they're asking the GA to do is intervene, have an, a minimum number of teams that have to compete in senior, which would have an knock-on yeah, effect that's to very clear and junior. Now. And that seems actually quite reasonable. Yeah, well, it makes so sense. That's like if, yeah. if that, that county with that success and that history and legacy and tradition it would have no problem yeah. fulfilling a couple of more senior teams. 100%. Eight, eight senior teams seems... Seems that's, low. That's including the divisional teams, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas most counties are between twelve and sixteen. So that's where the that's I guess where the strong intermediate and 
junior teams from Kerry come from. As you say, it, there's no guarantee that that means the Kerry teams won't still keep winning because mm-hmm. they're strong regardless. But I mean, it would at least level the playing field a little bit, maybe at intermediate and junior level. A bit like the senior, you don't know what county is going to lift the, the senior. Kerry horrism is what we're saying here. This is, they've like exactly, they've rigged yeah. the system. Hundred percent. Is that what we're saying? This they know is what they're at. They're at more lads and the mm-hmm. and the lads down in Fossa. Um, of course, it's going to be a Derry team winning the All Ireland Senior Club Championship this year, Adrian, isn't it? Um, is it? <laughs> I, I've backed I've backed land from the very oh, outset oh you have you're on that train yeah. sort of big time They'll and when, it, when you get your comeuppance now on Sunday Shane, you'll, um, when you're down there with your Maliki Clerken Maliki Clerken Maliki O'Rourke yeah um, yeah Maliki Clerken's great I, as well yeah, he is great, but that could be an unusual sign <laughs> to bring to yeah. he'll be up in the press box as I hold up a, a banner towards him uh, yeah Maliki O'Rourke uh, I'll certainly have a banner ready to go for him on Monday morning are you going here. to it uh, I might be going to it I'm, I'm undecided yet I have to see what my soccer schedule is for, yeah. for Monantown FC and you go supporting Glenn of course yeah, you stick with the Ulster teams do you know uh, yeah. like yeah. you support Ulster rugby like yeah exactly the same way yeah 100% Tommy Bowser I mean North Monaghan man like myself uh, there's a great pedigree there uh, you were out in the office there uh, watching the yeah, tennis unfold, Cal. Very lucky because uh, when I came in, the Murray was. I think he just won the second set at that stage, so I've caught a good bit of the match. And uh, what a game! Unbelievable match. And I don't know how he survived the match point in the fifth, where Berrettini had such a what looked like a routine chance to to finish the match off, and he just couldn't do it. And Murray bounced back. He just the demeanour of Murray. He just looks very kind of exhausted all the time. I think when he's playing the match. So I thought he was kind of flagging a little bit energy wise, but he did brilliantly to to win the tie-break and given all the injury trouble that he's had and everyone thought that he was re- going to retire uh, the fact that he's pulled this off against Berrettini who I think is the, the 13th seat mm. uh, is quite a significant win but if there's a better game than that over the next couple of weeks we'll be doing very well Absolutely Cal, great stuff as always Thanks Thank you, for popping into us Cal Milani there of course from the, uh, the Sports News uh, We have uh, a bit of a, a special piece now because Newcastle United are one of those clubs that we haven't quite covered in depth uh, the same as, as maybe Arsenal United Liverpool over recent weeks delighted to say the former Irish international goalkeeper Shea Given joins us on the line this morning Morning Shea, how are things? Good morning lads, you okay? Keeping well, keeping well thanks for uh, for coming on to us uh, 354 caps for Newcastle so we figured you'd be, you'd be the right man to, to discuss their, their current form and rise with uh, I mean things are going really well for Eddie Howe third place in the table uh, it's all looking up yeah, it's been an unbelievable season. I mean, you think of the last twelve months, even Shane, it's been it's been remarkable. Um, you know where they've come from. I think they were second bottom when he took over. Um, with you know, and, and I think the biggest scare, the biggest problem for everyone connected to Newcastle or, or, or played for Newcastle, or any connection with the club was, you know, stay in the division because the championship's so difficult to get out of. Because and the job he's done, you know, the recruitment. I think last January and the summer has been phenomenal. Um, not went mental in the market, just got the right people and the right mentality, the right sort of character to the football club. And, and it's just snowballed, really. You know, the season they're having, third in the league. Um, and you're right to talk about them, and not, maybe not in the title race, but definitely in, definitely in the Champions League places. You know, if they can finish in the top four and, and perhaps win a League Cup, then it would, be, it would be an unbelievable season. Do you think they are? Like, I was listening to Gary Neville's um, uh, podcast after the match at the weekend, and he was kind of saying he believes City will win the league, Manchester United might finish second, Arsenal third, Newcastle fourth. Is there any hope that Newcastle can can get involved in this title race? I think Eddie would probably, I don't know, probably quietly maybe think there's an outside chance, but I think Arsenal looks so good at the minute. I mean, Gary Neville maybe saying that they try and mount more pressure on Arsenal <laughs> perhaps or maybe take the pressure off Arsenal. I don't know what, what his psychology is, but after watching Arsenal at the weekend, you know, they were brilliant against Tottenham. Um, of course, they've got to play Man City twice yet. Uh, which will be massive games, of course, but 
you know, Arsenal, I don't think, will fear anyone at the minute, the way they're playing. They're, they've been absolutely brilliant. Uh, the confidence is sky high. The club, you know, the fans, everyone's right behind them. So I think it'll be very difficult to, to claw that back. And whatever reason, at City, it seems to be not going so good at the minute. You know, there seems to be something missing, a little spark, whatever whatever it might be. Um, but Newcastle, even if they finish fourth, the guy Neville's prediction is right, and Newcastle finish fourth, that would be just a, a brilliant season. It really would. And, and then, you know, rebuild again, perhaps in the summer, a few more players, not, not loads of rebuilding, just one or two players to add to this group of players and, and, and help strengthen this team and... and you know, it's very exciting. I think the biggest thing the Newcastle fans have is, is hope again. You know, there's a real optimism around the city that, that you know, the good times are, are ahead again. And, and hopefully that's the case. Shay, you touched on the quality of the signings and none of them are like monster names necessarily that were hugely sought after by some of the bigger clubs. You spent about 200 million quid. The names have been monster successes, having said that. The likes of Gamera's Trippier, uh, Nick Pope, of course, Dan Byrne, the list goes on. And we've uh, spent plenty of time in this show talking about the source of where that money has come from. Having said that, there are other clubs with just as deep a pockets who spent the money badly. In that context, will you talk to us a bit about um, Howe's role in the transfers and where would you rate him at the minute in terms of Premier League managers? Well, he's got to be up there. I mean, people said at the start he's just maybe be a stopgap or maybe just for some big-name manager to come in, you know. But, you know, I think in, in any conversation, I think Eddie Howe's a big-name manager. I think the job he's done, you know, he's, he's surpassed probably most expectations even of the owners. You know, I wouldn't have thought that... I think the Tottenham game, the very first game they, they were in charge was Tottenham at home when they got beat. I was actually at the game. It was it was the atmosphere before the game was phenomenal, but there was a realization after the game that you know there's a big rebuilding job to do here, and and and, and you know and, and they've done that. They've backed them, of course, and 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 think Eddie Howe is, is is you know he deserves this sort of you know the positive stuff that's said about him because you can only talk about second bottom and now third in the league, and that's after a long period of time. So you just hope that that can continue. You know, I, I kind of sort of hinted the other day at maybe they could maybe dip into the market now in January because, you know, the, the position they're in, you know, to be third in the league now, you know, it doesn't guarantee in 12 months' time they'll be third in the league because, you know, they always say strike when the iron's hot. Maybe now's the time to get one or two players through the door to really sort of cement the top four position because the job for Dan Ashworth and, and Eddie Howe come the summertime will, will be made a lot easier if you're in the Champions League next season. You're hearing a lot of names being linked, Shea, uh, as will be the case with uh, with Newcastle over the coming years. But the Chelsea trio, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Conor Gallagher, Hakim Ziyech, maybe Ziyech being the one that Chelsea might uh, most willingly uh, part with. Scott McTominay is another name as well. I guess when you, when you see Bruno Gamarej leaving the, the field in tears after twisting his ankle at the weekend, um, it, it highlights the need for maybe some, some building in central midfield, albeit I think his injury isn't maybe as bad as, as first feared. It could be weeks as opposed to months. Um, who, who do you think they should bring in or what sort of areas of the pitch would you like to see Eddie Howe uh, strengthen well well, when you first seen the Bruno injury you thought it was going to be a lot more serious and hopefully as you're right the, the report's coming back that's hopefully only weeks and not months that he's going to be out for because he's such an important player he's been an absolute inspiration inspirational signing should we say as well from, from day one and you know the fans he's a fan's favourite already so hopefully it's not long term but where would you like to strengthen probably in, probably in midfield you know when you see I think Probably the Sheffield Wednesday game when they lost in the FA Cup was one of them ones you thought, you know, is the squad is, is, is good enough to to be a Champions League squad, perhaps even for next season? Or, you know, this home straight, the second half of the season, you know, an extra couple of players could help strengthen the squad because when they made it, I think it was eight changes against Sheffield Wednesday, it looked like it showed a bit. You know, there's a lot of players who have not played much football and, and you know, I think the squad and depth might not be there as, as, as maybe some of the, the bigger teams in the top four are challenging for the top four. So, I wouldn't say exact positions, you know. I think the back four have been brilliant. The goalkeeper's been amazing, you know. So probably midfield and maybe higher up the pitch, perhaps. But, 
you don't want to rock the boat too much when you're doing so well as well. It's it's a it's a it's a fine sort of balance to get that right. You know, do we do we leave it the way it is because we're doing so well, or do we do we add a little bit of competition for places? The the, the I guess the desire for a trophy share in Newcastle. I mean, as you well know, it's a town that loves its football. Like in the Toto Cup in two thousand and six, and before that, you had the FA Cup in nineteen fifty five. So it's not a it's not a club mm-hmm. that has experienced much success in the way of silverware. Like into the Carabao Cup semi-finals now is that is that something that's going to be firmly on Eddie Howe's mind that look it would be a lovely lovely season not only to clinch top four but maybe pick up a Carabao Cup trophy as well. Yeah, I mean that'd be amazing. I mean, is that the quarter final there, the, the last game and the atmosphere before and after the game actually was 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 phenomenal against Leicester. So obviously Southampton's a draw. You would think in the semi-final, home and away. I think the second legs at St James's Park as well. So. I'm not saying it's going to be easy because Southampton, obviously, the recent results in recent weeks have picked up. But you would like to think that, that Newcastle will have enough for for to get through that, and then obviously, final anyone can can win a final, can't they? It's 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 a bit of luck on the day, um, but it's it's exciting times again. You know, that, as I said, the crowd are really behind the team and the manager, and, and there's a real buzz in the city. So it would be amazing. You know, it would be an unbelievable season, top four, and and to, to pick up a trophy. As you say, it's been far too long. I mean, I was there for for nearly 12 years of my life, and. Every year was the same thing, you know. Can we win a trophy? Can we? Can we finally do it? We got the two FA Cup finals, I think a semi-final of UEFA Cup as well. I think it was whatever it was called. They changed the name all the time, but you know we were close, but we just didn't get our hands on one. So it's very frustrating. But you just think with this crop of players, with the new ownership, with the backing that hopefully Eddie will get, then hopefully it's not a million miles away. Speaking of the new ownership, Shay, and you're obviously out and around the club and you're in touch, I'm sure, with a lot of Newcastle fans. There was so much chat about it at the start and the source of the money and how should we feel about this, I suppose. What's your... Is everybody around Newcastle just... The money's there, the new owners are in, we're getting on with this and we're going to win trophies, or is there any chat about the source of the money? Um, well, I don't live in Newcastle, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's always going to be people who will object to it. I mean, but there's... There's other clubs in, in the Premier League that, that have got money from places maybe they shouldn't have before. I don't want to go into too much depth on it, but I think that the what's happened with the previous ownership, I think they're just they're just excited that there's someone who's up to, uh, you know uh, who are prepared to back the team, prepared to you know try and get the club challenging again at the top of the league. Um, so whatever you say on here or any sort of uh, social you know or any sort of media, then people will spin it and say you're whatever. I can't really say the words, but. There's always going to be, you know, objections to that, you know. Um, so, but I mean, I, personally, on a football point of view and, and a sporting point of view, I think it's, and again, people will spin this whatever way they want as well. It's, it's, it's exciting again for the football club. Um, I say it's been doom and gloom for a long, I don't know, 12, 13 years under the previous ownership. And it's just, it seems now that that sort of cloud's been lifted and there's excitement again through the city. You almost feel, Shay, that there's a, there's a bit of a shift around Newcastle, even in terms of, Big teams, uh, you know, luck, <clears throat> luck seems to follow them around and the Mitrovic penalty at, at the weekend was a perfect example of that where you, you need a moment to kind of go your way to pick up three points. Um, yeah. And even towards the end of the game, I remember back in August when, when Liverpool got the late goal and, and Newcastle were trying to kind of play out the game and, and, and run down the clock. It's a risk. But at the weekend, you know, that little bit of, of shithousery where, you know, Dan Byrne is holding the ball over his head for the Fulham players trying to swipe it out of his hands. All of a sudden, all these little moments are going Newcastle's direction. Mm. Well, if you stood next to Dan Byrne, you'd do well to, to get a ball off his hands. He's six foot seven, so uh, he'd a step ladder, I think. But yeah, I mean, you're probably right when you say, but you know, the Mitrovic penalty at the weekend, it's, it, it was just one of those unfortunate things for probably Mitrovic. But you know, you, you think at times, I kind of think I tweeted after the game, you know, something's brewed in Newcastle because there's little moments and seasons where you know things like that happen because if Fulham get their noses in front, you know, one nil, they probably sit more defensively and, and, and be more difficult to break down, and 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 that the goal might not have come at the end, you know, and, and that goal would have been just for for one point instead of three points as well. So, 
you just believe that there's little moments, key moments, as you say, call it a bit of luck, call it whatever you want. Um, but you just, it's still a long way to go. I mean, we get excited because they've been there now for a few weeks, but there's a lot of games to play. There's a lot of big matches they come up, you know, a lot of big teams to play against. So there's there's a lot of football still to be played. And there's a lot of stories to be told yet, you know. So it's not over yet. It's, it's, there's a long way to go. There was a big debate in the studio, Shay, before we came on air this morning about who was the best goalkeeper at Newcastle since Shay Given and whether or not it was Nick Pope. We might as well, you're the expert in the area. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's opinion in different areas and what have you, you know. But what you would say about Nick Pope, he's just been, you know, a breath of fresh air to the football club, I think. I think it was a ten, maybe eleven million they got, and sort of seemed to go under the radar as well. Adrian, with a lot of with a lot of people, um, you know, he just sort of slipped through the door, and he, okay, he's here now, and and there wasn't so much fuss made about him. Um, and then he's just been been absolutely phenomenal. You know, his record, I think, I've seen somewhere as eleven Premier League goals have conceded all season, or so, something along them. I don't don't quote me on the exact number, but you know that record with the back four. You look at the back four: Dan Byrne, Botman's been a brilliant side. Of course, Cher looks a different player under Eddie Howe, and of course, Trippier. You mentioned before about. His leadership qualities, you know, he's a captain. Um, he's just, I think, the first signing as well under the new, you know, owners as well. You know, he's brought so much to the football club, you know. So I think then back four, back four and, and back five, sorry, with, with Nick Pope's been absolutely superb, you know. And I think you need that base if you're going to do anything, you know, in the Premier League and they've definitely got that. Yeah, fifth clean sheet in a row, I think, for, for Nick Pope, which is a which is a record at top flight level, which is not bad at all. Uh, I'll get me coat then, I'll get me coat. <laughs> <laughs> no, not bad. Um Alexander Isak, another name as well, Shay, that's yeah. that's really popped up and his his game time you know has been limited by injuries, but uh, his strike rate in terms of goals, I think it's a goal every eighty nine minutes that he's been in a Newcastle jersey when he has been on the pitch. So really, really big bright spark. Yeah, yeah. I was at his debut actually at Anfield when he when he scored two and possibly scored out a hat trick because there was, was a marginal big toe was offside or something, and, and one of the goals got disallowed, you know, in the second half. But yeah, I mean, he had a bad injury, and, and he's, he's he's as Eddie says in the last couple of weeks, he's just trying to get him back up to speed. Um, of course, the goal at the weekend will do him no harm at all, or his confidence no harm either, you know. But again, it's exciting. Wilson's playing really well at the minute as well, and and you know, some people are talking could Wilson and Isak play together up front? That would be. You know, we don't see that very often, two strikers, you know, but maybe Eddie might have to change his formation a little bit, perhaps with maybe Bruno missing for a couple of weeks. It might give him that option to, to play both of them, I don't know, but it's exciting. You know, he's, 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 we didn't know much about him before he signed, but we, we certainly knew a lot about him after his debut. He looked very sharp, he looks a finisher as well, and he looks a natural finisher too. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the coming weeks. And he's maybe capitalising on the, on a slight dip in form for Alan Saint-Maximin, so someone who we know is extremely yeah. talented, but uh, I mean, he's really jumped on that bandwagon, Isak, when, uh, when Saint-Maximin hasn't maybe been at his best. Yeah, perhaps, and, and I think Saint-Maximin's been fit now for the last three or four weeks as well, not really getting the, the game time, you know, so I don't know, maybe if he's, I don't know, I don't, you don't know, obviously you're just speculating from outside the, the, the sort of change room and what have you, you know, but you would have thought he would have got more more football, and and as I say, you said with Bruno missing the next couple of weeks, it might be interesting to see how Eddie sort of reshuffles his pack. We'll see Maximum come in. Will Isak start up with Wilson? There's lots of different you know things that he has to sort of work out now Eddie in the next couple of weeks. But um, see Maximum on his day can be you know can be world class, and then on other days he can be frustrating. I think that's that's the thing. He's trying to get the consistency. You know what Saint Maximum's going to turn up. You know, but when he when he can play at his, at the level, we know he can. He's a he's a brilliant player. Marcus Rashford definitely offside. Oh my God! Don't get me started now. How long is How long have I got on this show? I've, I've, I've got all morning if you want. Blast, to be honest, I just I just can't get my head around that goal. And 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 I spoke about it in the last couple of days as well. And people going, "Oh, because you play for Man City, blah 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 blah." 
it's nothing to do with Man City. It's nothing to do with if a Newcastle striker had scored it or Haaland had scored it. I would, I'd be saying the exact same. It, it makes a farce of the whole game. In fact, you know, it's just I don't know. I don't know what, what you know. It's probably been spoke about. You know, he's interfering with plays. Not interfering. Of course, he's interfering with play. Ederson's the goalkeeper. You know, position I know pretty well. I would, I'd like to think was coming out down the line of, of, of the shot with Ederson, with Rashford running onto the ball. He was getting set for that. He wasn't getting set for. For Bruno, for Gamara, uh, Bruno Gamara, you know, Fernandez coming onto the ball to, to finish the goal, you know, and then they say he's not interfering because he's not touched the ball. He's, he's nearly jumped out of the way for 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 Bruno to score, you know. So, of course he's interfering with play. Of course he's interfering even with the backline. You know, Kanji sort of stepping up, playing him offside. It's it, it's just it's a bit of a farce. I mean, they have to clarify. I know there's a law in place, and if you don't touch the ball, and what have you? I think even go back a few weeks when when Salah scored for Liverpool. That's so it's a different goal. It's not a City man. It's not a goal against Man City or Newcastle, for example. It's I think the Wolves defender headed it because he was trying to, you know, block it from going to Salah. Goes to Salah and he scores and they give it. You know, that's that's a farce. That should be that goal should be given offside. What do you make of Man City generally speaking at the at the minute chair? Because I mean, result notwithstanding, the performance was was okay. I mean, Fred really clearly had a job to do on Kevin De Bruyne, which he did quite well in the first half. Haaland didn't have much, you know, he probably needs the City players to get the ball to him more, although it was quite difficult at Old Trafford at the weekend, given United's setup. But um, you wouldn't be too concerned. Arsenal's form is is really, really good, but you feel that City have that, that bubble and that spell still in them. Well, they do. They're champions for a reason. And these guys have been there before. Um, you know, they're a brilliant squad of players and they'll be hurting at the minute because, you know, the results, are the, the results Southampton, of course, Losing to Southampton in, 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 uh, in the League Cup as well, and, and then going out um, losing the, the Manchester derby, you know. So these guys will be hurting, and you, you'll expect a response. Um, you know, Fred done a brilliant job in De Bruyne. I was at the game actually, the Brentford game before the World Cup, when when Thomas Frank went to the Etihad and, and really, you know, I think they nearly double marked De Bruyne that day to, to try and stop the, the service to Haaland. And there was a real game plan to, you know, if you can stop the source, then you, you stop Haaland getting goals, you know. So. You know, Pep and his and his staff will have to work that out. You know, how do we maybe free up the Brown or if a couple of players are on the Brown? Is there space for the likes of Marys or Grealish or Foden or whoever else that he that he plays or you know Silver or whatever whatever team he picks? You know, so they'll have to rejig it a bit perhaps to, to to get the spark back. But you know, I think as I said, these guys are champions for a reason. They're, they've won the Premier League so many times in the last you know five or six seasons. So they definitely won't be giving up the. They're giving up the ghost, should we say. They'll be definitely chasing Arsenal all the way to the end. I saw Stuart Pearce making a good case um, and it was stood out from the noise for in uh, defence of Hugo Lloris on TalkSport yesterday in the North London derby, talking about the fact that it takes a deflection. What's your take on it? Yeah, it does take a deflection. It's, it's difficult because any any goal that goes in and a, and a goalkeeper hits his chest or whatever and it rebounds into the net, then it's... You know, people will just automatically turn point the finger at the goalkeeper, but and also it doesn't help. And this doesn't sound like a goal. It does. It's going to be a goalkeeper's union conversation, but it's like, you know, it's it's happened so quick. And then when they show it, you know, it's a split second type thing. And and sometimes you don't even see the ball and it hits off a part of your body. And before you know it, it's in the net. And you don't you don't even realize which part of your body is hit or nothing. It happens so quick. And the thing with TV and and slow motions and stuff. And you know, people are sitting back on their sofa and thinking, "Gee, I want to save that." You know, it's just. It's it's not easy. I'm not saying it's it's it's. I'm not saying he shouldn't have saved it. I'm not saying it's 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 a glaring error. But he'll be disappointed when you look back. Hugo will be disappointed himself. You know, if he stays maybe more square to the ball, it might hit his chest and, and come back in the direction it, it came. And it just sort of he's just turned his chest a little bit, and that's gone into the net. But it's 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 a very. It happens so so quick, you know. And it's 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 you know milliseconds or whatever it is. It's it's, it's very difficult to react sometimes. And it's like hard for keepers as well, isn't it? Because you're like that's the ultimate. A defender makes a slip. 
and it's grand it probably gets covered somebody else mops it up goalkeeper mm-hmm. makes a slip and he's living with that he's listening to that he's looking at that for the next couple yeah. of weeks and again it's a big derby as well so there's, yeah. you know, there's a big pressure in that, that position of course the goalkeeper's as you say, is the last line of defence. There's, there's, there's no one there to bail you out behind. And you know, being there myself, I made mistakes. It's, it's, it's not a nice place to be. Um, but again, it's, it's the psychology of a goalkeeper. You know, the, 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 the sports psychologists. I'm sure they have at Tottenham and, and different people who've been working with Hugo Lloris. To, you've got to park that to one side, of course, for the rest of the game. And then you, maybe after the game, you can address it, sit down in the cold light of day, and think what would you've done different, and how could you've maybe reacted differently or what would you have done differently perhaps the next time you know so it's all dealing with them the mental side of the game as much as anything Having said all that uh, with my Irish hat on I'll uh, make a case for Cueven Kelleher to get out of Liverpool who are going backwards and uh, you know a good time to jump ship and a good place for him to go what's your sense of what if you were to give him advice if he was to call you up and say Shay what are you thinking what should I do here what would you say to him yeah, well, I think Craven doesn't need advice from here or anyone else. But you know, I would always be the opinion of 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 to get playing. Obviously, that that would be my you know. I left Donegal all those years ago at sixteen and had a choice of going to Man United or Glasgow Celtic, and I picked Glasgow Celtic because I felt there was a better chance of getting into the team. You know, Packy Bonner was getting on a bit. Hopefully, Packy's not watching. But at the time, I felt he was you know was more of a chance of getting in there. Whereas you know, Peter Schmeichel was just sort of coming into his prime at Man United. So we felt that. Me and my dad felt that that was the, the avenue we wanted to take. The, we wanted to play as many first team games as possible, and I always felt when I didn't, when I didn't play, even if it was you know in the squad and I was on the bench or whatever, I was I was raging. You know, I was like, that's a game I will never get back in my life and my career that I can't, I can't turn the clock back. You know, so Cueven will be, I would imagine, will be itching to get playing. You know, and, and even from a Liverpool point of view, you know, Allison's an unbelievable goalkeeper. So I always have the argument because I've been asked this a few times of a few different people. It's like. There's no harm in letting him go to the end of the season, for example, now to, to play games. And, and that's, you know, even pits up his price tag, for example, because I've got every faith that he, he, he would do brilliant wherever he goes. You know, he's, he's, he's at the age, he's at the level where he could play, I think, in, I wouldn't even just say championship, I would say, you know, Premier League. You know, I think he's at that level. Um, and, of course, Gavin's doing great at Southampton as well. So, you know, Cueven will be looking at thinking, I need, to, I need to get playing games, you know. So I think there could be some sort of a, a good deal for both Liverpool and Cueven to, to get him some game time. It's fascinating what you're, what you're saying there, Shea, about the psychology of a goalkeeper because you're in a team sport and yet you're an individual really in that in that team because, as you say, if, if a mistake is is on your back, it's it's entirely down to you. Like we had Ronan Agarra recently with us and look, kind of similar for a fly half in rugby that you're in a team sport, but again, you're an individual, especially when you're on the kicking tee. Uh, and Ronan, I mean, he made my morning when he said Ronnie O'Sullivan was one of his, his mm-hmm. sports heroes and he was big into the darts as well. It seemed fascinating to me that he was gravitating towards individual sports and, and even, you Know, maybe golf play, golfers as well. Are you some someone similar who has maybe as a goalkeeper gravitated towards individual sports people? Uh, well, I do like golf. Uh, I like I like the golfers. To be fair, obviously the, the Irish guys, McIlroy and, and Shane Lowry, who I met a few weeks back. Actually, great guy. Um, you just hope he has a great great year ahead of him, of mm. course. But growing up, probably was was more of football. I, you know, I was growing up as a kid, and was always like, oh, who do you look up to as a footballer? And Peter Schmeichel was probably the one I looked up to most when I was a kid, and. And it was kind of like, who could you learn from or who do you think you could emulate to try and be or, or, or you know, have some sort of a figure that you could look at and think, well, what, what, what do I need to do to get to that level, you know, or, or to even, you know, be anywhere close to that level, you know? So I think it's, I think it's good for, some, for kids to have that sort of aspirations or it doesn't have to be an, even in their sport or, or individuals, you know, I don't know, what's trying to say, inspirations that people, you know, dedication and people who... Sometimes maybe weren't the most gifted in their sport, but they've just thrown their whole life and, and into it, like, and they've actually been brilliant at what they've done, and that's 
what is it, hard work beats talent or something? Or there's, there's, there's a saying in there somewhere, as you probably help me out, but, no, it. you know, it's, 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 it's something for kids to aspire to be. And that's, that's what I was like when I was growing up. It was like, I used to look at maybe all the top goalkeepers, but, but probably Peter Schmeichel was the one that I thought, you know, what an unbelievable goalkeeper he was. And, you know, lucky enough at, at one stage, you know, he was at the other end of the pitch to me, you know, playing against him, you know, so that was a bit surreal. But, um, yeah, you know, I think it's important you look up to these people. Just a final one for me, Shane. You've been very good with your time. Um, the Aaron Ramsdale situation at the weekend, uh, brilliant performance in the North London derby from him. Uh, there were those unsavoury scenes towards the end where a, fan, a Spurs fan kicks him in the back. Um, and, and you can see him kind of having a little bit of aggro with the Spurs fans throughout the game. Like, is that is that a tough thing? And maybe from your own experience as well, where you're standing in your goal and you have the, the opposition fans right behind you hurling abuse at you for, for 90 minutes plus. Not an easy thing and, and probably, I assume, quite difficult for a goalkeeper not to react to that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, as you say, you've been getting abused the whole game. I've played it, obviously, Manchester Derby, Newcastle, Sunderland Derby. You know, you're, you're at awake, especially at the wake stadiums, you're getting, you know, it's, it's 90, 95 minutes of absolutely, you know, whatever they can throw at you. You know, we can't stay on, on here, of course, you know, <laughs> the, the stuff that Ramsdale would have had to put up with at the weekend, you know. But uh, when you win a big derby, I, I think you should be allowed as a player to, to enjoy that moment. To, you know, that's why you work hard and, and you dedicate yourself and your life to to the profession, you know, is, is to celebrate the moment and enjoy the moment, you know. So I think for a fan to come on like that is, is, is disgusting, really. You know, he kicked them in the back, which is bad enough. But imagine they had a knife or something or anything, you know, it's, it's you know, some... Tottenham fans are like, oh, you're going over the top there, perhaps, you know. But at the same time, these guys, you know, the family men, they've got kids and stuff, and, and it's people's lives is risk, you know. And that, and that might be a bit strong on my point, but you just don't know, in the, you know, in the current climate, if someone has something that they shouldn't have into the stadium, then mm. the players on the pitch should 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 not be at any sort of risk, you know. So it's you don't like to see that at any stadium. Yeah, 100%. Here, here. Uh, Shep, really good with your time. Thanks a million, as always, this morning. Thanks, Shep. All right, thanks, guys. Great stuff. Shea Given there, former Republic of Ireland international goalkeeper, of course. Fascinating stuff, yeah. Ah, yeah, so interesting. And uh, been there, done that. Like bought the t-shirt. Literally, who's the uh, who's the, who's the best goalkeeper? It's been since he very politically uh, <laughs> none of them. Fair play to him. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, um, well, he would have been very close with Steve Harper at that time as well because he yeah. would have been his understudy for a long period of time before Shea went off to join City. So, of course. Uh, you know, I think you can't really get into legitimately get into a debate about that. No, and when you think of the, the as he says, the derbies that Shea's played in, like the Manchester derbies and the. Sunderland Newcastle games as well. So much hostility to those matches. Well, like. I do remember across all those years he was at Newcastle, you'd always be looking out for them. You'd always be hoping yeah, they would keep, yeah. they'd kept a clean sheet or that Stephen Carr as well, of course. Stephen same. Carr, exactly. Yeah, that they that you know um, they've done well. I've no warm feeling for Newcastle at the minute. No, no it's a bit on. different now, isn't it? It is. And uh, like, look at I. That, we were obviously asking about that, and uh, I presume most new. I presume the very few Newcastle fans at this stage who are in any way uh, anything other than just aboard the bandwagon but um, I, I, I take no pleasure in them sort of competing for the Champions League and all this stuff and he makes a very valid point that there are other clubs uh, around the Premier League who are in the same boat with money from questionable sources yeah. and not just the obvious ones um, but that's where I'm at with Newcastle. No, it's fair. I think a lot of people are in the same boat, Adrian, to be honest. And some of the comments on YouTube as well along those lines. Paul Quirk says, Newcastle recruitment has been brilliant. Everyone assumed that they would go crazy, distort the transfer market, very strategic approach. It's a fair point as well. Like, Eve, as you say, with the money, they have spent wisely with really the money. Well. But they will distort the market. Oh, of course. It's <laughs> inevitable. Them, give them time. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. no, they have. And like, even the Trippier signing was like, seems like a very obvious thing now. And he's not like, uh, he's not a young buck. Is he 32, 33? Yeah, yeah. Like, and has come in and obviously captained the club and stuff. Um, not the obvious signings, but certainly spent very well. Yeah. 
Well 74 says if Newcastle get Champions League will they then start signing the big names probably uh, see bracket Newcastle's story is very hollow always saw them as a club with a strong culture but none of that matters anymore like I think a lot of people similar to, to your own views um, Adrian as well a lot of the comments coming in on the uh, the Kerry club stuff as well a lot of people having some, some strong views on that Car Crash says oh Shane's hosting enjoy the cringe and the gaffes see you tomorrow gents well Car Crash good news I'll be back hosting tomorrow myself and uh, Nathan so I can't wait to see you then um, so myself and Car Crash will have a bit of fun in the comments well, the, the, uh, the gaffes with Nathan and the uh, co-hosting chair Shane you can be guaranteed of that a few gaffes yeah yeah exactly uh, yeah so a lot of the comments on, the, on the, the Kerry Club stuff as well it's fascinating I would like to see the, the playing field levelled but Larry McCarthy's comments you'd imagine hinting at that as well so at uh, 9.17am on this Tuesday morning's OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio across today at 1 o'clock it's OTB Gold Wexford 1956 Memories 3pm it's Dadcast 4 o'clock Brent Pope's best 15 he's ever played against from 6pm Joe meets Ruby Walsh and 7pm the uh, evening show Off the Ball is live with Willow Callahan in the hoster's chair. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. We will be back after these ads, but first, here is some GMAC motivation to set you right on your Tuesday. Testing, one, two, one, two. GMAC, one, two. GMAC's morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Good morning. Graham McDowell here at GMAC as you guys like to call me some Tuesday motivation for you now uh, yesterday is gone tomorrow has uh, not yet come we only have today that's a quote from uh, the great mother Teresa I'm a big fan of hers uh, up there with your uh, your Padre Pios your, uh, your John the Baptist something along those lines anyway that's your Tuesday motivation see you tomorrow GMAC's morning motivational moment or something along those lines there's so many to choose from OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar Nearly 20 past 9 on this Tuesday morning's OTB AM I feel like I'm, uh, I'm like in, in crash here Or someone I have to look after Because Colin Buhig of uh, Cork Has joined us in the, in the studio <laughs> as well Cork. But I'm sitting in between Adrian and Colin And there's always There's always the back and forth And the argument The creative tension Like well, like what, uh, can, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah it's awful, And I think um, Salah's missing it this year You know what Gerard would say Can we slip back to Komodo Can we rev- pull back the curtain a bit Colin's been outside for the last hour and a half Crying in the corner at uh, Trying Murray. to work his way through The aftermath of Andy Murray's Dramatic victory Victory yeah. at the. Um, you should have saved that for on air because I laughed off her. Yeah, it was good. You actually uh, said it true. Jumpers, lads. You're, well, similar, no, different colours, but obviously uh, both kind of going with the. Yeah, yeah, with the yeah. Round well, I, I, I would say very, it's a knitwear. Very, very, very um, almost man. an old Gallagher uh, style on him. Like, well, it, he it needs felt, all the support he can get at the moment. It felt as if he'd been styled overnight, Shane. Not unlike yourself, of course. I took a great as compliment that. Yeah, that big, big. Well, it was intended as a compliment for you, Shane. Well, Colum's shirt so underneath much. actually looks—it's not similar to mine, but a similar yeah. type of. I thought dodge. he'd been—I thought he'd got a tat overnight. A tat like a neck on the neck. Then Mudrick has a tat that is what uh, talent. Again? Talent ain't. Talent ain't. Talent ain't everything. Enough. Talent enough. Enough. And then he has the talent crossed out, so Strike he through. has ain't enough. Oh, lads. Very unusual. <laughs> I mean, in, in the list of crap tattoos. Wow. I really know, uh, do you know what? I, I'm loving the show this morning because, like, you're right, Shane, the live sport angle when the show is on. Do you know the last time oh. you, were, you were saying you couldn't remember the last time? Cricket. I think it was the New Zealand tour. 
Oh, the cricket. You we might had be right, the actually. Ireland England in the yeah, but I'm not sure. Do you know what? We were upstairs when we were uh, when that was happening. Oh, we're not down here. I think we were upstairs on the fifth floor that week because I, I remember we got. Up and down that week, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Kathleen's saying One the year. That's great. And oh, that's but uh, the New Zealand the tour last yeah. summer. The New Zealand tour last summer, and we watched it. So glad we brought Cullen. But in it is. A, it's a nice live. Uh, he's not energy he, to he, it. He says, I mean? I've enjoyed the, the show. Energy. Well, we both know Shane. He's been sat in the corner outside with his head between his knees, just trying to figure out what his thoughts are after you must have been that Andy Murray oh, it was amazing it was amazing because Berrettini had that match point which people have probably seen by now even if they haven't, didn't watch the match on social but Berrettini has this sitter like to put it home to win the match and Murray stays on and I, did, I really didn't think when he went two sets up and then went back to two all as Catherine Murphy was saying already like she, she kind of banked on that going to the fifth set and so did I after two sets but I didn't think he'd win like do you know what, Colm? Do you know what? Yeah. And I wasn't going to bring it up and I wasn't going to mention these comments but there's a few of them coming in and it wrecks my head because, you know, if I talk about snooker and people... Yeah, 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 comments, yeah. I don't like it. I hate it. I'm, I fucking feel so defensive about snooker. Go on. Don't diss it. Um, someone says, John says in the comments, must save all this tennis talk for the next time I can't sleep. And there's a couple of negative... Co- I mean, Jesus Christ. Defend your sport here. I've nothing Pe- to defend. There's people giving I, out... It's, 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 it's a grand it's a major. We're obviously going to talk about a major. It's what, what, what do these people want? Like, do you know, who, who said that? John, 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 is John, 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 is John, is it? John, yeah. yeah what, John, what do you want? The you problem know? is because they're keeping John happy. Then Mary's coming on to us. John, John unfortunately, yeah. so we can't go by what you all think. Like, he's picked the wrong morning to suggest this. Like, yeah. he's been served a muffin top earlier on. He, he loves this with the with the Andy Murray match. This. Like, it was a brilliant match. Yeah. Couldn't have been more dramatic. I, I agree. Andy with Murray's that. a good character. Yeah. he should never have won the game. He's aging. He's injured. Blah 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 blah. You picked the wrong game. Yeah. Like, but there's a lot of tennis. Like I made the point earlier on about the basketball, if they could start uh, uh, five basketball games, a uh, one quarter after another, i.e., that you get to watch the final quarter of every game one after another, that'd be ideal. Fair. I feel the same way about tennis. Yeah, that it's such a dramatic sport and it's <coughs> to such fine margins. But there's a lot of it that I could just do without. But actually, the man of the moment, Andy Murray, was on a podcast with Gail Monfi, the French tennis yeah. player who hosts his own podcast, and he was saying like. If he was an, uh, a spectator of tennis, he would get frustrated by best of five games because they're too long. They are too long. Like, it, Who said it, that, Andy Murray? Andy Murray himself. Murray. He said, if, if I'm a fan watching the sport, the vast majority of best of five Is he games, saying that because he's I'm, like 48 I'm dipping, he's barely able to walk? No, he's like, I'm, I'm dipping in and out. Throughout. I'm dipping in and out. Totally, yeah. But I think he's, you know, every so often it's great. Now, they do reserve the best of five sets to the Grand Slams. But I think best of three is perfect. If because if you, lo- if, you lose the fir- see, if you lose the first set in a best of five match, it's really... Doesn't really make that much difference unless it's a massive underdog losing the first set. What we need is the view of like a tennis geek who would, you know, who's mad into the tennis and like loves all the ins and outs and the sort of the hipster aspect, Shane, of you know the stuff that we couldn't appreciate necessarily. If I can draw you into my camp, yeah, of course, go on. You have your view on the. You surely love you. You wish it was seven sets. I just said. What did you say? But it was Sorry, the it best of yeah. You see, you were too. You were too. You see, well, what I you thought were you were giving me Andy Murray. No, you were too preoccupied. <laughs> I, like, I know what I'm going to say next. I know what I was going to wait for the finish talking. I know I'm going to say. Yeah, you aren't listening. Yeah, I just course. said. Yeah, like it's too long. Why? Why is? Why is the women's Some game? Of the I, I think football's too long at 90 minutes. So why column is the women's game first to three sets and why is the men's game first to five? Because you'd imagine fitness levels are. Similar. On a par? Yeah, I, I, well, I, I mean, it's a, it's a real uh, contentious point because um, like, there, there's a striving for equal pay and then the argument against always, well, we play best of five and you play best of three so we should get more money but it's always been the case that like, that there, there should be absolutely no reason that women shouldn't play best of five but it's not nothing to do, for me, it's, everyone should play best of three. I don't think best of five serves its purpose. Right. The, only time, the only time I play best of five 
is in the finals of the four Grand Slams for both draws, women's and men's. Adrian has his hand up like a child in the back of the class. in the back of the class there. I have an idea. A Jared PK style idea. Make them all four sets. And I know what you're going to say, but that would introduce more drama because you would quite regularly end up in a draw and just send them to a tie break. Well, that's both men's and women's four yeah, sets. Yeah, I mean, look, what's happening now with final sets is that it is going to a tie break to decide it. You're saying go straight to the penalty shootout, basically. But it can't be, an, it can't be an even. What do you mean? So if they both. No, that, if it's two all after. So two, it, uh, it'll after regularly end sets, up being two all. Then, yeah. Then go to. So yeah, just exactly. go straight to a tie I'd break. be open to that. I would be open to it. I think um, it, some, like, it is a slog sometimes to watch. But sometimes, look, like, you know, the, the best tennis match ever for many people was Stresor and Nate, Natal Federer. And we're thankful that that went to five sets. That went all of the way, like. Because it got better yeah, and better. And then the other like 400,000 games that have happened in the meantime that were boring the hell out of everyone. Well, you can skip a lot. Remember, players, we, did, um, we did 2001 last year. We did 2001, even Eastwich Rafter, flashback, mm-hmm. you, me, and one Shane. And when we were watching it back in research, like all of us skipped on to the start of the fifth set. Because oh, no, the first four sets is like. I watched it all. Did you, t- did so, you spend did their full research. four exactly, hours yeah. and 55 minutes of oh, your day the previous yeah. day? Yeah, 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 I remember yeah. that, yeah. I remember it because. The face of a lying I, man. I, yeah, I'm going to listen back to it now <laughs> and uh, see what you said on air. Kathleen says in the comment there in, uh, from the production box I have a friend who was famously known in our group for around the 60 70 minute mark, uh, turning around and saying, 90 minutes, no need during football. A lot of people have. <laughs> I mean, it is a long. Tell you what, you're, when you're playing a soccer match, 90 minutes oh, is a long time. I'll ref, how long's left? How long's left? 17. <laughs> 25 oh, wow. minutes. Well, well, like, I enjoyed the uh, added extra time, the added added time at the World Cup, for example. Do you know? And it just depends Did on the you? game. Yeah, 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 oh yeah. I suppose it was it a brilliant World Cup, the, game, so like. the more the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, I understand maybe, that. Maybe, maybe we could introduce a tiering system where, you know, a bit like club football and county football, you know, we could say from the bottom half of the Premier League down, if it's a, t- a game between two teams from that area, yeah. you can only have 70 minutes. Yeah. So it'd be like a club GA club football versus a county football thing, and then for every other team, you can have the full ninety. You're like a Gianni and Fantino. And if it was here. like a Manchester derby, we might even give you a hundred. Right, hundred minutes just yeah. for the big games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, what do you think? Back to sleep there. I don't think so. Columns after dozen. Off <laughs> oh, I'm just uh, reading through the comments. There's loads of comments. But sorry, John. John, uh, uh, this is different. John. John O'Leary now on YouTube. Uh, this is from earlier. Do we be just not know any Arsenal pundits who they could get on the show? Is it re- Ridiculous how you tried. stack every show at Man United, Liverpool and Newcastle, but as usual, nothing in Arsenal. You, John, must have been asleep on Friday when we previewed the North London derby with Tim Stillman. You must have been asleep last week when Andrew Mangan was on the evening show as well. We give Arsenal a lot of love on the show. Mm. We, we spoke about them heavily in the performance rankings yesterday. People only follow the narrative that suits them, I think. John, I love talking about Arsenal. Arsenal deserve all the, all the praise. Producer, that's, you know. Yeah, but we, we do we do yeah, talk Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. We decided New, we do Newcastle today with Shea because... And uh, Liverpool with Laro because we didn't really get to touch on them yesterday. We do tend to cover a lot of United and Liverpool, but naturally, a lot that's of United where and that's where the country. that's where you so go. Like you go where the interest is. Yeah, and I love talking Leeds as well, and Aston Villa, and Everton, and all these other clubs that have um, heavy Irish contingent. In terms I would of love fans. to extend the show to five hours so we can do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have to pick and choose no, it. Do you know what I mean? Lying. I love the live aspect. That's you know, a lie. it's a great, well, was, it's a great show. I was if you were more involved now, you'd feel that way. I was on a flight to uh, Unai. I was on, at Unai Emery's first game at Villa Park, uh, Villa against United, and the amount. Now, it's probably no surprise, but the amount of Villa fans heading over. I thought, oh, this is going to be a lot of United away fans yeah. heading over from Big from Ireland, but massive Villa contingent in Ireland. Third most supported. English club yeah. in Ireland is it Leeds? Good question. I'd say Villa might be far off. It. Yeah. yeah, historically Villa and Leeds, as you say, a few Forest fans as well. Well, there'll um, be a lot of um, late latter day Chelsea fans 
Latter Day City, Latter Day City City supporters. Yeah, I, I, Arsenal are actually. Oh, Kathleen, there with the tone of judge, <laughs> the tone of judgment in my ears. That like, was Arsenal the actually the third most aggressive message because Kathleen is the resident Arsenal fan. Arsenal is that a fact? It's actually Arsenal. Yeah, that was so passive. It's a fact, right? Yeah, yeah. But she's actually right. And there's another Arsenal talking head we have. Kathleen, I mean, do you know? We're always talk- we can't move for Arsenal. Or Bobby Paul. Dwyer in the comments. Don't mind Arsenal fans; yeah. they're a strange bunch. I mean, we do get Martin Lipton on every now and again talking Spurs, and but I mean, JD, I think we have a nice, a nice little mix, nice little balance of yeah. clubs. We're not going to talk. I would like to do more Leicester and West Ham, though. You would. Do you know it's getting so interesting in Premier League, isn't it? The which it's getting so interesting in the Premier League. Oh. like there are so many. Like we were doing the performance rankings yesterday, and we could have had five or six different candidates in the Premier League alone in the red. Yeah, yeah. Of the weekend there was so much to talk. The about. thing that I've enjoyed about this chat is there's now no need for an editorial after the show because yeah, we've just done that now. Well, you were going to talk. Thing, in, in you're here now. There's so many clubs to you're choose from. Now. What would you like to talk about for the last few seconds? We're here now. <laughs> Apparently, you know? uh, Kathleen sent me in the stats in Ireland in terms of club supported Liverpool. Uh, come out on top at 25.67% just ahead of United Manchester United that is on 23.2% and Arsenal a fair bit behind the third 11.86% and then who? I don't know I don't have the remaining figure right. but that's Chelsea and fourth apparently but that's you're approaching 50, 61 like you're talking 61, 62% covered with just those three yeah, clubs yeah. So perhaps unsurprising. Have you said everything you need to say about it? It feels like you must. No, actually, one more question for you. Sorry, Man City, uh, Chelsea fourth, Man City fifth, Spurs sixth, then Everton, Villa, Newcastle, West Ham. That's the top ten Irish. Thanks for coming in. It's so many to choose from. (laughs) Question for you: If people are wondering, Adrian, they'll probably want your opinion on this. You won't hear from me again till Friday. What do you think of Breakpoint? If people are thinking about watching it on Netflix, Um, from what you've seen. Like I've seen, uh, I've seen. I watched the rest of the second episode. Now, what I've yep. seen, it's, 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 it's not bad. Like, um, if I hadn't to watch it because we were talking to the producers last week, I probably wouldn't have made it past episode one. I think that would be a difficulty for people. Like, and it's also been a curious episode. The basically. the I think big part of the difficulty that they have is that its benchmark is drive survive. That is that is a hard benchmark. Mm. Like, I know people. There, you know, some people are critical of drive survive. It's not maybe everything that's made out to people it's it's a very good behind the scenes none of them actually I mislabeled them myself they're not really flying the wall flying the wall suggests you're getting a bit of everything they're more behind the scenes flying the hallway as opposed to flying the wall in which they're in a bit of flying the hallway Um, so look I would say I would recommend to everybody go and watch episode one and then make your own mind up after that I think the best scene in the whole series so far in the five episodes is episode two between Berrettini and Tom Janovic mm. in the news now this morning and they're um, back and forth in the hotel room that about their plans strange wasn't it well they broke up a couple of months later and what then was the comment the comment was well Tom Janovic was out of the tournament Berrettini was still in it Tom Janovic had to do uh, an interview the following morning and Berrettini was like well you're not doing it in this room mm. so get out and go to a conference room or book something and the tension between the two like cause, and you know it was it just showcased how selfish these people have to be in order to make it to the top level mm. they're also in episode 2 discussing what movie they're going to watch it's a little bit. It's quite cringe. Like that, that doesn't last so long that you'd be annoyed by the whole. Well, thing. it's just that like it's the unlikeliness of it. The camera is obviously there, and then they're having this sort of a full conversation about what movie they're going to. Yeah, watch well, the, the producer said to us that they those two were the most, the more relaxed anyway. Definitely not, yeah. the, maybe not the most, but the I'd more say, relaxed. Go, watch place. episode one. I'd say watch to it. Keep going. I'd say watch the first two episodes. Episode one is a misnomer. It's just curious. Just focuses on him. Episode two is uh, more in line with the following three episodes where they focus on two players at a time. And if you have no interest after episode two, then you're not going to like the rest of it. That's what I would say. Right. I'm going to give it a watch. I'm going to give it a go. I've seen point break. Now it's time for a break point. Uh, Justin Flynn says, lads, it's heavily weighted towards United here. Come on. 
there's someone who usually comments uh, on the YouTube. Uh, his YouTube name is We Hit Manx, and then a load of numbers, and then usually he, he what's says, his angle? Well, <laughs> I wonder what he's there. For. But every comment is yeah. Mank, and then the following word not being not a very nice word. But he makes up a new one every single day. Where's so, Shifty uh, Lad? Is he? Shifty Lad's not here this morning, fortunately. Uh, James Dillon says going to the Emirates on Sunday. Can't wait for the Partey versus Casemiro midfield battle. This game is the early noughties Arsenal Man United fields. There is something about that, isn't there? I don't remember the last Arsenal Manchester United game that both teams were coming in mm. in really, really good form. Mm. There's usually one or the other that's maybe flying, but uh, on this occasion, it feels like the Fergie Wenger. It's the perfect time of the season for them to to, yeah. to be meeting as well. Yeah, you know, like the, post the City win, post the Spurs win. Oh. It's they're they are both they've both hit the high point of their season. Yeah. I mean, albeit that United, as Shea Given would point out, reverse back into that high point, but never, nevertheless, do you think Arsenal will win the league? I uh, if you if we if we scroll back, what do we know? The middle of January. Scroll it's, back yeah. a month. Did you? Uh, I mean, or less than a month uh, because we pre-recorded. Um, Aye, we, we did our predictions of who was going to win the Premier League. There was four votes on the table. Three of them, three sheep went for Manchester City. He's um, calling myself Jer and and Nathan sheep, and I called you sheep at the time. In fairness, sorry, I, I, I stand by City. So I stand by my Man City, Man City prediction. One, uh, well, that's it's getting more ludicrous by the week now. It, we're know. not even halfway. There's another so, game to go until we're um, halfway. I did say I was predicting Manchester, uh, predicting Arsenal on the basis that like uh, Jesus, if back. they don't win it, then nobody's going to mention it again. And if they do win it, I'm going to uh, select that clip and um, put it up on my social media feeds. No doubt you are. Stick it up on LinkedIn. Yeah, I tend to do so. Well, for Arsenal, okay, that looks good now. And what about the bottom three come the end of the season? Who's going? Oh, I don't know. I can't even remember. I'm going to go. Favorite. I'm going to go. You, you, you picked I, your three yesterday. I picked my three. Yeah. I'll go Forest, Bournemouth, Southampton. Okay. Who, who did I pick? Everton are too big. You had Leeds with the two lads. I had Leeds in yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry to all the Leeds United or Leeds United fans watching. Of course, there there are a few. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's going to be a cracking game Sunday. I actually I think it's delicately poised. I don't know who, which way it's going to go. Arsenal will be, will be favourites, you'd imagine. The relegation thing is is impossible to tell. At the moment, it's yeah. pure guesswork. But I'm saying, if you guessed it right now in mid January, that would be very impressive. You look like brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, that would be so impressive. Yeah. Winning the Premier League is also guesswork, but at least it's just but one selection that's less and exciting. based on some sort yeah. of. This is like, the most competitive relegation battle that I can you think just, of. But you just can't tell what happens. You of obviously course, need to yeah. see what happens over the next couple of weeks in terms yeah. of but that's what I mean. signings. From what you know at the moment, what would you say would be the bottom? Well, from what you know at the moment, then you have to go West Ham, Everton, Southampton. But like, the predicting, how, exactly. predicting how it's going to change. There's going to be an upturn. I That's how it works. Like the, stock, like, the, say, like the stock market. To be market. honest, I don't. Like the stock market. <laughs> you do. Yeah. You do. Come on now. Give yourself more credit than that. This has been, care this. This has been fun, guys. Uh, you used to watch Bernie Madoff on Netflix. It's a brilliant documentary about this stockbroker in New York. Do you know what York. I'm watching at the minute? Um, the, uh, the Squid Game alternative. Um, I never got into The alternative. Um, it's called that. Yeah. The hipster squid game. <laughs> um, yeah, go on. Oh, it must, be, it. It must be, be very good. You have it. Uh, Alice in Borderland. Oh, right, right. Alice in Borderland. Heard of it. Not for the faint of heart. Right. Mm. Not for the faint of heart. Very much. If you thought squid games was bad, yeah. this is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of. It sounds like a border. In, in terms of like its approach joke. to characters, yeah. is what I'm saying, as opposed to the quality of the show, because it's very good. But this, in the regard of the way it treats its characters, is. Brutal. Yeah, yeah. Squid Game looks like a Alison uh, Borderland. Kids F- follows a, a 26-year-old woman called Alison around South Armagh, North Monaghan area. Is that what it is? No, <laughs> um, no, no. It's not that. It's not the Very story. Much not that. Bernie Madoff, the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of Wall Street, and his surname is Madoff. As he made off of people's money. Oh like. yeah, very there good. Was a, there was a guy who used to be on the who used to report on racing. His name was Guy Swindles. 
Yeah, that's yeah, right. Uh, we're being told we need to wrap because we're, we're talking muck at this point. <laughs> but uh, I do love it. Uh, and two episodes into Yellowstone, so just in case you're wondering oh, okay. what I'm watching, and that's what I'm watching. Good. Lo- uh, you know what? It's overacted so far. And Kevin Costner? Yeah, the yeah. acting is. Oh Jesus, I'm not. I'm not into it so far. I really want to enjoy it because my mates have been picking it up. So I think I'll get into it. Bernie Madoff. <laughs> <laughs> Parchee Song. How long have we got? Parchee Song. Lee Keegan. Come on, where are we? Someone going? please watch it so I can talk to someone about yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you haven't even watched the Serena, the King Richard yet. So I know. Need, I haven't got round to it. You need to watch that. Well, been busy. Listen, we'll give you it till tomorrow, uh, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the YouTube comments, abuse and all. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we'll take it. Nine thirty-seven a.m. Uh, we appreciate you watching us uh, as always. Ought to be a.m brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we will be back tomorrow morning Tommy Rooney's GA Power Rankings the first of the season no pressure Tommy and Keith Wood live to talk about the many big storylines breaking in the rugby world this week OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 